Hey, Internet. My name is Jonathan Fisk, and I am here to rescue you. You have fallen under the influence, and it is time to wake up. He is risen. You are paid for. That makes you immortal now, and Jesus Christ ain't going to be long anyway. Welcome to the Saturday morning. <laughs> I almost got it. I almost got it. Welcome to the Mad Christian Saturday morning. Chill. Hey, Internet, my name is Jonathan Fisk, and I'm here to rescue you. You have fallen under the influence. It is time to wake up. He is risen. You are paid for. That makes you immortal now, and Jesus Christ ain't going to be long. Anyway, welcome to the Mad Christian Saturday morning chill. I think that made the first time I, I did it all the way through, although I did read the last three words. Saturday morning chill, my own show's name, I would have to say that. So many things to talk about today. You have tons of stuff you've thrown us to speak about, uh, including things like, you know, what's going on with vaccinations and vaccines and what do you know? What can you find? Things like, how do we pray for who right now? Uh, your questions us seeking God's answers, the Bible as often as possible, my opinion when it's there and then you take and you leave and you learn to discern yourself, because that's really the point, isn't it now? I mean, yes, it's good to trust your authorities. And then when you find out you can't, now you're in a different place. What do you do as a Christian? Does it mean you rebel? And the answer is no, actually, it doesn't. So we'll talk about that too. But I want to go, uh, I think, first here. Uh, hold on. I have a whole new setup this week, so I don't really know where anything is. I'm pretty sure if I do this, that makes it so you can all see it. But now I'm going to, uh-oh, that's problematic. I can fix that. I can fix that. This is great. We got a, what I have here, I don't know if I can show it to you. What I have here is a, uh, a teleprompter effectively. So I can look directly at you now while I'm like reading things or seeing things. Although, unfortunately, it's too small to read this particular document. So I'm going to pull it up here, uh, move over here to the side grab one more thing and we're going to jump into what well, I mean all the questions this morning are about what's going on right now right and this is kind of the biggest thing it's like right now who do I look to who do I trust who can teach me the truth oh well it must be you Pastor Fisk well I, yeah I'm glad I'm here to help isn't it frustrating though and, and here's what Renee says I am a recent LCMS convert. I grew up in the Baptist Reformed world. Think John MacArthur. I'm not a fan of his theology anymore, but I absolutely appreciate the stand he and his church are taking in the fight for freedom and worship. And, and yes, I, I'm completely with you on this one. Uh, what they've been doing out there in California has definitely been on the overreach side of everything <laughs> um, for a while, I would say. Uh, uh, I wanted to make some comment about waves there, but that won't work. Anyway, um, their, uh, the, the draconian approach to church in California has been quite the thing and uh, quite different from, say, other states. And this is what's so important, tangent, what's so important about everything right now is whatever you think is normal, where you are is not normal everywhere. And so you can't be like, well, it's not like that. That's not how it works. This is a massive, massive world. And if you're in the United States, it's a massive, massive country with lots of different governments doing lots of different things. And to say, oh, there's no corruption. Well, that's just not Christian. You just don't know your Bible or your history. And so, yeah, those in California who are striving to hold worship and being told, no, you can't, and are not finding any particular reason to actually, someone can shout science a lot, but until you show dead bodies, it's hard to really believe much, right? I mean, obviously, we're going to talk about corona all going on. I believe it's a virus. Don't get me wrong. I believe it's dangerous. I believe, in fact, it has killed people, right? But I do not believe all the stories told about it on the internet are true. Hmm, yeah, uh, call me crazy, but that's just what happens if you start asking 
these kinds of questions. You might get called crazy by those who prefer to believe that only their corner, their scenario is true. So yeah, John MacArthur standing up and his church taking the heat because they fiscally can to some extent too. They can be that risky machine. That's why we have institutions is to take the risks for the people. What happens is the institutions start to take no risks and put the risks upon the people lest we lose the institution, right? And that's, that's problematic. So good for them, right? I'm with you. Okay. So she says, I have been extremely discouraged that those in the LCMS are not discussing what's really going on in our country and globally. Now that can mean a lot of different things. Okay. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to jump too far uh, to the flat earth just yet. Right. Um, But isn't it interesting how our body, the LCMS doesn't have a way to talk to itself about things that are going on in real time. So we're all wanting to kind of be together but the mediums for keeping us together can't do it. You know, a, a, a magazine or a newspaper coming out in a couple weeks isn't going to help anybody. So this is a challenging thing, isn't it not? Yes, I agree. And then you have a problem maybe more locally where you are, and I don't know all the specifics here. So I'm going I'm to dance in the middle of the thin gray line in the midst of which there is a thin red line in all of this and try not to go too specifically on your situation or any of my particular past that someone might think I'm talking about them and they get all offended about it. Rawr, rawr, let's get offended. Rawr, stop talking about things. Um, or uh, let's try to see, well, what's going on and why are you frustrated, right? And, and how can you continue to be the good Christian you want to be where you are? All right, so you've been discouraged by those in the OCMS that are not discussing what's really going on locally, globally. Okay. That can mean a lot of things. Uh, the thing that we as Lutherans should care about the most, the Lord's supper. Oh, you're on it here. Uh, we are so quick to give up question mark. Uh, why is there such a disconnect between what we say, what we believe, and what we actually live out? So now here's where I, I don't think we can say the LCMS has given up the Lord's supper in the midst of the COVID scenario. That's a bit much, right? The LCMS is a scattered and intentionally somewhat defunct church body. That is, we're not congregationalists, but we sure act like it. (laughs) And that's kind of a strength at a time like this in some ways is that there's a whole whole host of congregations that have been having church all the way through this one way or the other. And you've never missed a beat of the Lord's Supper. Yay for God's blessings where that is. Now, if you've joined an LCMS church coming out of evangelicalism because you believe the Lord's Supper is Jesus Christ's flesh and blood in the present reality, God on earth to join with you so that you might rise from the dead. As he said, if you eat his flesh, drink his blood, that's what's going to happen. And now you're there and you're so excited and you're watching all these people that have been there their whole lives be like, oh, we'll shut down for a couple months. No worries. And you're like, what? Right? Now I can understand that question. I really can. I fully do. And if you're a Lutheran out there watching and you don't, you're a jerk. You don't think about anyone but yourself. You assume you're the only one that sees things. You don't realize that other people maybe care a lot more about what you have at your church than you do because you're too busy chasing the world. So ease down on yourself here and and deal with this. We've been out here in the fringes making Lutheran converts to the supper for a long time. If you're taking it away from them, well, think about it. That's all I want you to do. Think about it. Take some time. Turn my show off. Stop listening to me. Go think about it. If I'm the devil, and I'm playing the long game because I can't die. All these little peons can. I just want to move them all to get them as far away from the salvation from my fire as possible. And the way to do that is to get them to stop having Jesus anywhere near them. And the way to do that is to remove the words and sacraments from among them. And the way to do that is to say, oh, of course it'll work over the TV. This brand new strange fire we just made up a while ago. It's been here all along, I guess, but we found it recently and uh, wow, it's taken over, hasn't it now? 
Oh, it'll, it'll work. Don't worry. We'll be fine. Don't worry about the Lord's Supper. We'll be fine. Now, now who's going to, I mean, nobody convicted and young is going to believe you, and anybody not convicted and young is not going to care anymore. <laughs> like, oh, you don't believe anything? All right. Well, you know what I mean? So this is, yeah, it's frustrating, Renee. It is. But I don't know where you are. I don't know who you're dealing with. So I can't speak broad brush LCMS or Lutheran or Christian or any, unless I do it and, and say all, right? And maybe that's where this is a little bit. I, I am for, for my part. 2020 has been, Jonathan, you better wake the, um, I'm not going to say it. You got to wake up, man. And so I did. I am. And I'm praying every day, God, don't let me fall asleep again, please, please, please. It was so easy last time. And I'm not saying I wasn't a Christian. I'm saying I wasn't watching. I wasn't thinking. I'm saying I was drunk and I'm not talking about alcohol. I'm not talking about alcohol. I was so spun left, right, and which way from the noise of entertainment in this world, trying to discern a real story in the midst of it that I could put my feet on. And I wonder sometimes, I really do, if Jesus came back and I was in the middle of the Marvel ending movie, I can't even think of it, Endgame? Yeah. I was in the middle of it and my eyes are, oh my, so good, I'm in love with everything that's going on for the last hour and a half, I haven't even moved my body. Would I have noticed in my drunken stupor the end of the world? Or what I've had to wait until the movie was over. Now, I'm not saying don't watch movies. I'm not. I'm saying we have to really, really, really think about how much of it we're watching and what it's doing to our ability to think. You need time to think. Quiet, space, openness. And I would contend that we haven't even thought about giving up the Lord's Supper yet. We're too busy doing what we're told. So don't be too hard on anybody you're dealing with in the LCMS. They're good Germans most of the time, and good Germans historically have done what they're told. We even have a school system set up to tell you, do what you're told until you graduate, and then you'll have a good job. We convinced the whole U.S. to do this, by the way. Yeah, 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 the Germans. Yeah, well, not Lutherans per se. Many of them were reformed and unified and all this other stuff. But, but that comes out of our, our, our wonderful heritage. You just sit down, do what you're told. That's smart. <laughs> okay, um, now that we're all in cages. So, uh, it, going on, Renee says, it has been encouraging to listen to you and Rev Kuntz discuss the truth of what's happening in our country. Okay, so there, okay. What's really going on in the country locally and globally? If you are not listening to A Brief History of Power with myself and Dr. Koontz, then you will not have kind of the Rosetta Stone to everything else I'm doing. If you're like, Fisk, you're so weird. Okay. I have considered that the meta narrative that I live my life by was a bit askew and Nickelodeon was a lying, two-faced deceiver. Okay. And as a result of that, I'm asking someone who's younger than me that didn't grow up with all of that in his heritage, nor did he even watch TV. He just read all of history, like the whole world. He read it all, okay? Because that's just, he's just that different, special. What do you want to call him? Dr. Koontz is pretty amazing, actually. Uh, so he, so I'm sitting at his feet saying, okay, dude, I don't know what's going on. I'm really scared. COVID, Corona, and wow, Delaware. And uh, <laughs> and he's like, well, this, well, this. Have you watched Have you watched uh, Twin Peaks? You need to understand these things. What are you talking about? So A Brief History of Power with Two White Guys. You can find it on iTunes. You can find it anywhere else. It is, uh, well, my attempt to use my platform to launch him, Mad Christian Style, up into the, into the stratosphere as far as we can, because frankly, he's got a lot to tell us, not just about how we should think think as pagans, because frankly, he's smarter than a lot of them on what they're talking about, but also to remind us that we don't think and live as pagans. We think and live as Christians. 
Uh, so what Dr. Kuntz and I are talking about in our country is what's talk happening in our country. And we're attempting to look at the white noise, and there's a whole lot of it. And that means Associated Press, that means CNN, that means ABC, that means first, you know, what's the Sun, I think, sometimes, something like that. He has a, an independent one he follows, but I, I like to follow as many on-the-ground journalists as I can, find real video, real things of, like, shop owners crying to the governor of California because of what he's done to them, right? And maybe it's all staged. Maybe it's all staged. I don't know. I'm asking those questions. And what you're saying, Renee, is why is no one asking those questions? Why are we so happy to just close our eyes and go on with masks and say, comrade, right? Doesn't it feel that way? And you're right to be a little worried. There's other Christians out there, other bodies out there and groups saying, this is communism, we got to fight back. The LCMS is just stuck dead in the water, not sure what to do. I'm not going to blame them. I think they're like a lot of people who just kind of got comfortable. We thought things weren't going to change ever, even though we could kind of inside the LCMS, we could see the writing on the wall that the giving has been going down. Attendance has been going down. Young men in church is like not there at all. Like this can't go on. We all know this. It's just we weren't ready for the wake up call to be a sucker punch. We were kind of ready to die slowly. <laughs> right. And now we've got a sucker punch going on. And some of us who are younger are like, well, let's get up. And we're waiting. We're waiting for leadership. We're looking for it. We're asking for it. Yeah? Um, and I, I don't again, I don't want to point any fingers. But I can understand the desire to look up, right? To look to the hierarchy, right? The rule that is above you and see in it a courageous, driving, convicted Christian conscience. Fearless, fearless is what you're looking for, right? And, and it's hard to find. Uh, it's hard to find. And I empathize tremendously. Um, what I like about Dr. Kuntz, what he's got me on is how to be fearless. And it mainly is to remember who you are. You know, as a baptized Christian, it, it, it shouldn't have gotten that far away from us. We've been catechizing about baptism and how confident it can make you for a long time. It'd be good if the pastor's doing that for so long would now take a turn around and be like, let's use it. <laughs> yeah, let's use it. And that's what's so disturbing. That's so disturbing to hear groups of people say, we believe a thing. And then when that thing is forced to be acted on to have a small and long and wide debate about it, right? And all these things. So anyway, what are Kuntz and I doing? We're just trying to talk about it. That's all we're trying to do. And we're probably wrong about half of it, but the goal would be for you to learn how to think on your own and to find some of the stuff that maybe, you know, you don't need to go spend time on Twitter. I'd encourage you to get off of Twitter, to get as far away from Twitter and Facebook as you can. Go live your life where you are. But then if you want to listen to us, we'll bring you <laughs> some of those weird corners and we'll keep it as wide as we can so that you can try to discern from the main narrative, which I, we don't have to bring you that, <laughs> shoving that down your throat. You know, um, you can try to learn to discern at least what you believe to be true. And if you don't like what we're doing, go listen to what is it stuff they don't want you to know. That's the official mainstream hidden information one. They're pretty good, actually. They tell me all sorts of you know hidden bases and uh, historical events and all this kind of stuff, just like what we're doing. Only you know, um, you know, they're working for the man and all that. So uh, <laughs> if you if you buy that kind of class warfare, which of course we don't. No, no such thing as class. What are you talking about? So, uh, go going on. Thank you for listening to the show, though. She says, uh, more than anything, I yearn for the truth. Uh, yes, that's it. That's where I'm at, too. Like, I really don't care what the answer is. I want the true answer. I mean, I believe it's Jesus, so I care that it remains Jesus because I believe it's Jesus. Like, I have a confirmation bias, right? And, and I, I don't know how you would ever convince me it's not, right? But what matters the reason Jesus matters to me is because he is the way and the truth and the life and his resurrection kind of proves that historically, right? So, okay, I mean, that's that issue. But I'm hungry for truth. I'm hungering and thirsting, starving even for what you might call in another era righteousness. But we don't talk about that anymore. 
it's too hard for the young people to understand these words, you know, we gotta get rid of them, change things a little bit. It'll make it stronger in the future, we'll be ready to handle that brave new world that's coming. Um, yeah, uh, the search for truth is what brought Renee to the Lutheran Church. Why does it feel like I am in the minority against my Lutheran brothers and sisters? Well, it took COVID to make you see that, did you? I mean, a lot of a lot of converts to Lutheranism are just surprised how little the Lutherans really care about Lutheranism at all. They, they really are. Uh, they're like, wait a minute, you guys don't even know what you're... What, I, I came here, like, I'd read the Book of Concord, and I'd, I'd, I'd memorized the Catechism so I could be confirmed, and you guys are like skipping for sports and stuff like what are you, are you christians i don't you know and, and there's a lot of that that's gone on for decades and again it has to do with where you are and again it has to do a little bit with the legalism of your assumptions about grace <laughs> so once you learn what grace is you assume where you're going to go it's all going to be just right right and instead you find it's all quite as bad as it was before only there's grace there and that's important to recognize too okay so some of what you're seeing is doesn't mean that they aren't christians it just means that well, again, the water in the pots got turned up a bit and they've forgotten to apply their Christianity. How can I say this? Do they read their Bible at home? Probably not. Well, there I said it, okay? So it's not that hard to make the point either. <laughs> it's not like I'm accusing you in some like a radical way, right? Um, if you're not reading the Bible every day, if you're not in the Psalms and the Proverbs, and if you're not a son of Solomon on that end, you're not helping anybody. You're chasing your own tail. So you got to be in the scriptures if you want the Holy Spirit to be with you. And my guess is most of the Lutherans aren't sanctifying the day between the day they sanctify more like a Roman Catholic obedience uh, than like a hungry, starving faith, craving the righteousness that is Jesus. Now, is that their fault? No, it's probably their pastor's fault. The current one? I don't know. <laughs> right? I mean, it's just so complex and so varied. Don't be too hard on them. Wherein the scriptures are being read and they say, these are true. I don't like it. I don't understand it. I'm going to complain about it. But, but no, no, the Bible's true. Okay, so good. Okay, they got that part. Where that is, and where they're like, this is Jesus on the table. Eat him. Like, if that's going on, even if the devil himself is behind smiling and actually giving it to you to eat, this is our confessions, by the way. <laughs> um, like, um, well, you, you can stay there in good conscience and fight. And you fight by love and mercy. Um, now, the thing is, there's going to be 7,000 in Israel who are bothered, right? There's going to be a, there's going to be a contingent there who want what you want. And the moment you find out that that's not the case and you are the scapegoat, in fact, well, you have no allegiance to that false altar at that point, right? Um, that's a different thing, right? And again, I, see how wide that went right there? This is why these questions are so dangerous is there's so many various possible solutions to your problem and they're all tailored to you. We're in an age of high-end organized we-ing. And that's great. It happens in history. They come and they go, I think. And that's fine. But if you happen to be a unique person or live in a society that in a we driving what what communizing global reality trained you to be a narcissist, <laughs> think about yourself too much, right? Um, well, if that's the case, then the solution is not to try to be someone you're not. The solution is to find who you are in the scriptures and build upon that. So the uniqueness of who you are, where you are is a real thing. And the uniqueness of the person next to you and their struggles and their trials, God has brought you near each other. The internet is a wide, again, ocean white noise of random where you can seek out the cross you want. But the cross God gives you is right next to you. And to face that and to live with that, that's really where you're going to find the truth here. And so again, Renee, this is at your congregation initially. Who's next to you? How are they suffering? And for all you know, much of what's going on, nobody really likes. And if you just talk to each other, you'd all stop doing it. Because that's another part of the problem. 
They got us so cornered. They've shoved things in front of our faces. We don't have to, you're going to say it. We don't have time to speak after church. How would anybody know if we're all tired of it? But that's where those who are like saying, this has been done before in history, are like, uh, <laughs> maybe have a point and shouldn't be ignored out of hand because CNN is smarter than us or something. Like, I mean, ouch. So I'm going to go on with you, Renee. You've had such great stuff, which is why I'm driven on it so long. Um, uh, don't we believe that love rejoices in the truth, she says. All I see in my church is fear. Now, this is your point. No, yes, we believe love rejoices in the truth. What we haven't noticed is what you've noticed is that all we're doing is being afraid together. Now, this has been going on the LCMS for a long time. We have at least a 30-year, a 40-year history, 73 is about when it really got going, of being afraid together. And we do that with great pomp and circumstance, and we think everybody else should join us being afraid together in the same way. Now, I don't think we have to be that way as the LCMS. I don't think that's what our Bible and our confessions and our worship life actually say about us. But it is the narrative we've had adopted upon us through a combination of, say, political history with uh, entertainment-driven slowing down of the time you spend on things that aren't watching nothing. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, uh, more time not doing things. And you combine these things and what you have, again, is this very nervous but cozy club that loves Jesus, knows his word, but now is being compelled to ask to choose between their conscience that they can't quite figure out what's going on. They don't know what's wrong. They just know something's wrong and they want to believe the TV. They do. They want to believe the TV. You do too. It's why you're listening to me, right? You want to have an authority in a box with a screen that says, yes, you, right. So you can go and do your thing, right? And anybody who's doing that without thinking about who they're listening to has a king or many uh, driving them every direction. And this is not to say then that they, for, they therefore are not Christians. It sounds to me like a lot of people have been snared by uh, tricksters wielding special magics to deceive even the elect if it were possible. And no, I don't think at the end of the world is right now either, by the way. I'm going to guess... That we have, we're going to go through five to seven years of hard times, then hard-ish for first world. And, and it's going to be rough, actually, possibly where you are. It depends, right? That's the point of the whole thing. We're going to go through that. We're going to come out of it. There will not have been the world war we all thought was going to be there. And then that's going to come upon our kids. And that's what I'm going to build for, by the way, because frankly, to prepare for a world war in the next two years, I don't got much chance. So I'm going to build for a long term on that. And I'm going to assume that. Jesus isn't coming back until sometime around 2700. Why? Because it's far enough away that I can't even imagine it. And so I don't want to pretend I'm going to know what's going on when Jesus comes back. I want to live today as if he could come back today and actually really preferring that he would. But to not use that as an excuse to not deal with 10 years from now and 100 years from now. Because that's what we do. We, we live for ourselves for 10 years, claiming in a, in a sense that if Jesus, Jesus is going to be coming back eventually, so we can't plan too long, can't build a building that will last till Jesus comes back in 2700 because we don't know. But when it comes to our tithes and offerings, well, well yeah, yeah, well, Jesus might come back. We don't know. Right? We, we use it both ways. We swing the door so that we don't have to sacrifice. And then we swing the door to make other people's sacrifices go away. That's, that's the real threat. And if that's what really happens among us, it doesn't mean your congregation, your family. Well, again, the selfishness has taken over. 
How do you counter that? Well, you got to turn the TV off, look at each other in the eye and talk. <laughs> it's how it's hard. Um, it's hard. Okay, so you got more to say. Oh, it's been so good, Renee. All I see in my church people feel fear, and that's what's so so stunning. I wish I said this a couple times. So if you've heard me say this already, I'm sorry. I'm gonna say it again. But I really wish that I had done one thing quite differently the weekend that we did have our outdoor private, that is one family at a time services Saturday and Sunday at our church last March uh, when we did the Lord's Supper in, in very special ways, but did not shut down. I wish, I, I mean, I told them all sorts of things. We were confirming people who were going to be confirmed three weeks later anyway, because we wanted to make sure just in case they all died from a pandemic. That got, I mean, it was an amazing time, I guess, to live through. <clears throat> I wish I had looked them each in the eye and said, you need to be ready to die from COVID. Now, I actually think that's less likely now than I would have been. That's why I wish I'd done it then because it would have impacted people because everyone knows now it's less likely. Even though we won't talk about it, even though we won't admit it, we can smell it. That's why you're willing to go to the store. If you really thought people were in a pandemic, you wouldn't be going to the store. You wouldn't. <laughs> you'd, be, you'd be having them bring that stuff out to you. <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, <clears throat> Renee says, all I see is fear. Right? I wish I'd told them, you need to be ready to die. And if you're ready to die, then go take care of yourself. Try not to. But until you're ready to die, don't you dare try to not die. <laughs> you're going to just do it all wrong. And you're going to miss it while you're doing it. So you need to get ready to die. Today. From COVID or whatever. Heart attack's good for me. I'm in my 40s. It could happen anytime. So, you know, I, I try to take health precautions to prevent that but you know, I, I smoke so you know i mean not cigarettes but you know uh so it could happen i got kids i got five of them oldest one's 16 just now she's beautiful too by the way guys um and no there's guns between you and them just so you know so is the word of god by the way more important um but what happens if i go all these daughters of mine my son what happens well jesus happens that's what happens the word of God that I have given them is what happens. Wait, you mean you mean they would go on without me? Yes, they would. So then I should say something today, shouldn't I? Yes. Yes, you should. You should talk today because that's the one God gave you. Stop working for tomorrow and talk today. Stop thinking that bread is for tomorrow and eat together today. Less fear. People barely even speak to each other on the Sundays. I know it's really rough. We have different services. Uh, we're different conditions are there for those to be comfortable and at some they leave real quiet they talk a little in the parking lot more though these days uh and even in the cold which is quite something and then and then we have the one where people are just a little more uh willing to sit and talk but but you're right and then this is the idea i mean if you really want to conquer a people i'm not saying this is what's happening i'm just saying like if i wanted to conquer people i'm an alien invading uh, you know machine species right and they're the ones who planted the tv 50 years ago when they crashed in arizona and now they've taken over our planet and they're going to kill us all okay and, and that's that's just in case that's happening let's go through the, the, the rung on this. <laughs> um, you know, if I wanted to do that, I would want people to not be able to talk about it. And the best way to do that is to get them to divide from each other. How do you do that in a day and age when they can talk to each other anyway on the internet? We get them to all watch the exact same stuff or maybe two things that aren't the real thing and have them fight about that <laughs> while you do the real thing. That would make sense. Evil genius. Yes. Uh, so the fear and the inability then to commune together on Sundays with each other, not to say that we aren't communing in Christ in the supper, we are, um, but to have that intercourse of conversation, uh, that give and take, uh, that smile, right, that charity and love, to have the government say you're not allowed to do that, or to have us be so afraid of dying 
Everyone liked to boast 20 years ago about how the Christians would go to the lepers in the early church and love them, so we should help the poor by giving them cash. And now we're in an opportunity to really think like that. And you're right, Renee. We don't even want to try. And that's the problem I have. I'm not saying I got solutions or you should take your mask off just yet. Although, masks, Mad Mondays, we're doing deep dives on all this stuff. If you're worried about the vaccine, if you're worried about masks, we're going to take everything we've been finding for the last months. Uh, Frisbee's cataloging as much as she can into a, like a good, a good congealed spot. That I'm going to hot link for me because I want to be able to find this information to talk with people about it because I really am tired of the mythology and I'm tired of people assuming that just if you if you have a, a different source of information, therefore you're 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 wrong when the different sources like the World Health Organization, you know, <laughs> so, you know, more on that with, with Monday's uh, article and all that. But um, uh, uh the loss of the ability to speak to each other has been the real, real destructive thing for us, I think. Um, and for you, you say, I can express how discouraging and lonely this has been. I don't think you're alone in this at all. There's a reason that suicides are up all over the place. And if you're a Christian, it doesn't mean you're excluded from the dangers, right? So be aware of that if you have those tendencies. These scenarios with winter coming and less sunshine, these aren't good for the heart and mind of many people, particularly people who have spent a life, can I say, being entertained to death. That is, having something to distract us long enough to not pay attention to the things we really ought to be dealing with. It's a magical land. It's like Pinocchio's Treasure Island. More and more. I remember reading that story as a kid and thinking, that's interesting, but all the adults seem to think it's okay to do those things, so we'll just keep doing them anyway. And now I'm like, whoa. <laughs> I mean, my whole life's been movies. For all I know, it's a grand experiment, and I am in an alien place where they're trying to see if I'll hold on to the fate. I don't know. I write stories. Uh, what I know is this. It's discouraging to be alone. And the more you're alone with your mind, the more those kind of stories I just made up become not things you think are stories because nobody else's story is cross-pollinating your own. Now, the good news is at church, Renee, you should still be getting the Word of God as a story, even though you can't get your neighbor's crosses to supplement it, right? Because we're supposed to have the story of Jesus' cross and then the story of our crosses with each other under Jesus' cross. And that's how we, as the ark of of God's church ferry across this raging flood of death and destruction and lies and confusion. And a part of that's been taken away. And the Christians, you got to take it back, honestly. I mean, as a pastor, what I'm doing week in, week out, as I'm trying to gauge the temperature of what you're all thinking without saying it as best as I can, and then move us 2% in that direction in the belief that, um, that since you want that, you're all going to be okay with it and we'll eventually get where you want to go. But we could get where you want to go faster if y'all just start talking to each other, right? Like if you treated the people in your church like they're your friends, text message them, Facebook them, get involved in some way in, in regular conversation every single week about stuff that's church and not church. And the more you would do that, well, the more you'd be able to talk about these things and handle them in real time with quick decisions because the trust you would make and the trust you would have developed as a group would carry you through. Now, in a large, large congregation, that's more difficult than in, say, a family-sized church, which is an interesting sociological conversation that no one's ever really wanted to have because we all know we make more money with large congregations. So it's a lot easier just to not ask the question, right? Why would we study these things? Uh, and I'm not trying to call anybody out, right? It's just a combination of all of our managed selfishness leads to mismanaged 
blind spots huh? and whatever. And if my particular spiritual gift is like pointing out blind spots, I'm sorry. I didn't ask for that, <laughs> uh, but it is what it is. Uh, loneliness. Yeah. The division of the body of Christ devastating to you, but no one seems to see it or care. No, 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 no. Welcome to communism 101. They want you to think that they want you to think you're the only one like this. You're the only one feeling this way, but you're not allowed to talk. So you can't find out otherwise. The fact is, in all these scenarios, most people think exactly what you think, but they're too afraid of the other person disagreeing and getting upset and or some other authority figure coming and saying, stop it, you're disobeying. And then because you're in trouble, you'll feel bad and you'll go home and you'll wonder if you're a good person. Now, notice how I am kind of scoffing at that. And I'm a Christian pastor who thinks you need to repent of your sins in dust and ashes. I really do. In fact, I think if you don't repent of your sins in dust and ashes, receive the baptism of Jesus Christ and believe in his resurrection from the dead, you're going to burn in eternal hell. I really believe that. But I don't think we all have to feel bad every time somebody tells us we're wrong just because they think they're in charge. Now, do I believe that there are people who are in charge in the world and we should obey them? Yes, I believe that too. But I don't believe everybody who talks is that. that that's kind of weird. Yeah, I don't believe everybody who comes and says, well, I'm in charge. I have a badge. Oh, do you now? That's very marvelous. Where did this badge come from? And how, how have I learned to believe in its value, right? And again, we can chase that a lot of different directions. I'm not saying disobey your cops. If you see a cop with a badge, you should do exactly what he says. Unless you're prepared to take the consequences otherwise, which most of you are not. So do exactly what he says, right? Point again, you don't have to do what your neighbor says just because they don't like what you're doing. And to some extent, guys... And I mean, guys, that's the difference between a man and a woman. To some extent, there are women who are different. There are men who are different. But a man doesn't just change to make someone else happy. And a woman shouldn't quite do that either. But that's sort of what she does when she marries a man. In a magical way, I'll say. It's not bad. But, but guys, the fact that we've all been convinced as guys to just do whatever we're told just because there's something really mm, emasculating about that. I'm not saying go be toxically masculine, go do whatever you want because rage. Well, that would be bad too. Mm? Yeah. I, I am saying maybe, maybe you're listening to the wrong authorities, especially people who happen to have a king who has called you his slave. I was wrestling with this one this morning. We're going to kind of tangent here for half a second, but let's see if I can find the note on it. It was really good. It wasn't me, right? This was from, from somebody else I was listening to. Oh, yeah. Of course, he wasn't talking about slavery. He was just talking about taking things personally and how we tend to take things personally because we believe them to be true in some way. Uh, you generally only attack back when you feel the need to defend yourself because you feel that you actually were attacked. And if someone called you something like you weren't, you wouldn't really feel that bad about it. So, But here's the thing that really is maybe more powerful even than that thought. Imagine for a second that you're a slave. Okay? Now, don't think American slavery. Think like ancient world. You're a slave in that you're owned by the emperor. He's the emperor of everything. You're his favorite slave because he's kind of your best friend, actually. He just happens to own you. Now, this guy who's your best friend who happens to own you and by the way, treats you with utmost respect, lets you manage everything like it's your own, and uh, you know has you sit by him at table after you serve him. He then sends you on a message. You got to go deliver this message somewhere. And you're talking to the person, and they get all upset about what you said. 
Now, here's the thing. Who are they upset with? Why would a slave take it personally when someone's upset with what his master said? Especially if that slave loves the master and knows him for who he is. And if the person you're talking to is not that person, doesn't love the master, hates the master even. Why would you take anything that person said personally? They don't really have a right to talk in any kind of cosmic way. They can talk about this world and the nature of this world. They can point out your sins and really show you where they are. You can learn in that regard. But they are of a different mind than you. And to take what they say personally is just downright folly. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying I'm going to turn this around in my own life right away. I am going to say I'm going to start thinking about this a lot more. A slave a slave does only takes... Well, let me say it this way. Whatever is said to a slave, a slave assumes it's about his master. Because a slave is just a slave. You are just under Christ. You are just in him. And any, anybody who wants to take on you has to take on Jesus. They have to go to him with their problems. And so they're either accusing and attacking Jesus or they're helping you. Those are the two things that happen in conversation as a Christian. That's it. Uh, and, and so to know that again, to put your mind in that position, um, well, again, this is how we begin to counter the fear and then speak up into that fear not knowing what will be said, listening carefully to what will be said. Does the person I spoke up about also feel comfortable in this conversation and want more? Or are they more afraid? Oh, I'm sorry. No worries. We'll stop talking. Because the goal is not more fear. And then you leave. And actually, that's just it, right? The goal is not more fear. Um, So uh, Renee goes on. uh, The division of the body of Christ is devastating to me, but no one seems to see it or care. I think they do. I'm just not talking about it. They are more afraid of COVID. Yes, and that's where the real... If there's going to be a condemnation from our Lord on this, it's, it's that fact, right? It's that we're, we're more afraid of COVID than we are of, um, of him. And uh, that's, a, that's a wide statement. So don't take that as being personally about you if you don't think it is. Although if you took it personally, why? Hmm. Uh, I hope you will both continue, that is me and Kuntz, uh, the conversation. It helps people like me to know we are not alone. I don't believe there's anything we can do to change the situation. True. Uh, God is the one who's going to do all this, right? It has done these things. Um, but we still have to live in and through it. Yep. We need to figure out how to take care of our families, help our neighbors. Yep. Uh, it would be extremely helpful and comforting if our pastors were discussing the, practi- the practicality of living through what is coming. Um, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Uh, you and you and Reverend Coons are the only ones I hear speaking the truth in these manners. I'm sure there are others. They may not all be doing it as loudly as we are. God willing, they're just doing it where they are, which is what we need. Yeah. Um, if there are others, please direct me to them. Thank you. And I'm sure in the comments here, as we're doing this, some people might have some other places they can go where they found good encouragement, good pastoral care, um, good good advice for what to do next and how to think about the changing times um, from a Christian perspective. Uh, you can share that in the comments. Renee, if you have not signed up for Mad Mondays yet, you really should. I mean, that's where we're going to continue to send you not only our information, but other people's information, uh, those who we find quality, right? Uh, and, and we want to share that with you, whether that be the CDC and its multiple reports, or whether that be something like a congregation that's really got it going on when it comes to caring for people online. Uh, all right. So with all of that going on, I got to remember my whole new setup here. Let's just do this. <laughs> That that really didn't work very well. <laughs> camera, come on, camera, camera. Oh oh oh, 
it, is this ugh, there is a place where it shows that there we go and now we're gonna go right here we're gonna jump into your questions and answers uh a little bit more here keeping them not necessarily shorter we have a ton to go through today i'm trying to readjust my if you're looking at me looking at the screen i have to move this come on now that didn't work <laughs> oh good morning good morning it's great to stay up late in the morning i don't know how to move my window this is really frustrating. Okay, hold on. Back like this. So the great thing about this new, the great thing about this new machine here, the um, teleprompter, is again that I can see, I can look right at you, and in theory I could have words here, but it's just good enough to be able to like look at you and like see what's going on here and talk. But then to have that work, I don't know how much, how off. I should be with regard to where the actual camera is. Oh, look, I can see my finger on the reflection. That's cool. Um, <laughs> and then, okay. So I want to move it so I can see at certain places. And then here we go. Here we go. This will do it. I think we're good. So, and I'm also not used to having had opened a different set of uh, the stuff to look at the, the actual questions. So normally I would read the questions off the screen, right? Where like right where what you're seeing is. Um, that's why I'll always drag them big. I can't even see to get over there to grab this, to drag it. Look, I'm dragging it. It's, it's really small, basically, and I'm having to, like, minute that. So hopefully you can read the question there. Uh, J.S. Bacher says this, Is it sinful to not strive to be as healthy as possible? I don't want to kick a nest of hornets here, but I've noticed this in my interactions with people. I'm not the healthiest guy. I smoke a pipe, I drink regularly, and I don't consume green vegetables if I can avoid it. I've tried them. They're disgusting. I'm not in disagreement with you. Uh, so all these anecdotes to say that I've had, no, I've had friends and family be offended by this lifestyle. So if this lifestyle is causing them to stumble, is it a me problem, a them problem, or both? I was always taught to imbibe in things in moderation, mm -hmm. and I certainly don't try to make them live the way I live. I'm just curious where the line is between Christian freedom when it comes to things like alcohol, tobacco, and other drugs. Interesting you say that. Why don't we just say substances then, right? Tylenol, we'll throw that one in, and worshiping proper health. Because, you know, Tylenol can kill you, both short and long-term, in different ways. Um, it's not real great for your liver. Uh, so, anyway, if I'm overthinking, please set me straight, J.S. Bacher. So, well, again, hold on. Everybody's unique, man. I don't know your health scenario. You got all sorts of stuff going on, right? So the question, is it, is it sinful to strive, is, assume, is it sinful to not strive to be as healthy as possible? You have to first answer what the word healthy means. And then if you're going to talk about it in the terms of sinfulness, you have to go to the Bible and ask what sinful means, and then try to combine illness, sickness, with some sort of trespass or moral failing. Now, that's pretty tough, honestly, until you arrive at gluttony and sloth and pride and these cardinal sins, which are a medieval development and are, and are a bit more philosophical than biblical, but they're they're kind of right. They kind of are biblical. They're just not biblical the way that normally things arise from the Bible directly. Like, here's a quote on this, or, you know, Paul says, here's some things you got to know, and this is a, you know, a section or something. Um, instead, what you have is sort of the wisdom of wisdom, pondering the various corners or ways in which our carnal flesh deceives itself into thinking it's being faithful when it's not being faithful. And uh, uh, so, is it sinful to submit to gluttony? Is it sinful to submit to sloth? Now, the trick with these things is, 
If you try to apply this on like a day-in, day-out basis to your conscience, you're going to destroy yourself. Of course you're going to be slothful. I mean, goodness gracious. The, the, the work ethic we've been given, maybe not you, me. Tell you what, man. I mean, I'll work for 12 hours straight, sit down, and then have internal monologue yelling about me about how I'm lazy. And I'll, I'll come up, I'll even go to the Proverbs. How that it only takes a little rest and the house falls down, right? And it's like, oh, and I just beat myself over it, right? Well, there's, there's something kind of wrong about that. There's something kind of unhealthy about not resting, right? So, you know, you can't get rid of sloth by not resting. That's wrong. And so to try to like undo the carnal sins of, of, of the cardinal list is the mistaken path. You can't do that. But what you can do is strive to have as little of these things dominate you as possible. What you don't want to be is a slave to something that's not Jesus, right? And that's tough. I'm a slave to oxygen. I can't live without it. I keep trying. I hold my breath and then I need. And so I have a false God named oxygen or God made me a creature. Those are your options, right? Now, am I worshiping the oxygen every time I breathe? No, I know God gave it to me. I will not supplant my need for oxygen I want to I extend my getting of oxygen in the carnal need for it against the word of God. Here, Jonathan, you will not get any more oxygen unless you curse Jesus and die. I will, I'll just die believing then. Make me suffocate, <laughs> you know? And, and so that's healthy to be able to choose what you believe over what someone's telling you need, what you think you need, what someone's selling you. Now, so that's that's my general answer to your question. Now, there's two other things in your question, though, that really matter. One is, what about in a time and a place where, say, hmm, it's not a fair playing field? I'll come back to that. But then the other one is, what about if you're hurting other people with what you do, which your question maybe alludes to? Or what if they're offended by what you do? The so-called weaker brother scenario. Um, honestly, the weaker brother scenario, anybody who brings it up, you don't want to hang out with them for very long anyway, if you can help it, because they're going to be they're going to be a legalist. They're going to try to make you live like them, right? And so you've got to kind of like, well, I'm going to ignore what they say mostly. And they're like, nah, yeah, that's great. You do that. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Everyone should do that. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't want to be that guy either, right? And so what you got and with your bad habits or your good habits, so what you got to do is roll with whatever's going on as best you can and then enjoy what is there that's good for everybody. And if you individually, little me that you are, and I'm going to advocate you should be the me that you are, but little me that you are is going to be not such a jerk about it and recognize there's a bunch of wees going on at the moment in the room. And so you're in the room with all these people and they don't want you to drink or they don't want you to smell like a pipe tonight, tonight, because it's outside the home, right? All that kind of stuff. And what then? Ah. Uh, suffer a little, you know, why not? But, but, um, and especially if it's going to kick a hornet's nest by like trying within your family to like try to have the conversation, like it's really better just to enjoy the meal and respect your parents, isn't it? Like, at the, I mean, do you really need your thing this time? Eh? But okay. So that's, that's that thing. And, and dealing with the legalism and the teetotaling and, and all that, um, you certainly, anybody who says like, you know, um, alcohol is bad for some people, so no one should have it and you should quit too because you're a pastor and it's offensive to me. It's like, well, I'm offended by you. So, merry day. You know, you, you got to be able to just do that and walk away from that person's argument because they are a, a wall 
without thought at that point. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, they'd be able to really engage and see that you disagree. <laughs> um, but then let's move back to the other challenge here, which is that your question, is it sinful to not strive to be as healthy as possible? Um, just because I tell you that, no, it's not the way you phrased it. That's not sinful to not strive to be as healthy as possible. Um, doesn't mean then that therefore you carte blanche don't do anything about your health and you're going to feel great about it. Nope. You're going to feel like crap. The more unhealthy you are physically, the more like crap you're going to feel. I'm sorry. It's just true. I don't feel great all the time. I battle depression. I feel much better than I did when I was not dealing with a number of my health issues. When I was not getting nutrition. Absolutely. Felt horrible. Uh, when I was not getting sleep. Absolutely. Felt horrible. I don't know that getting better water has necessarily made the hair on my face start to grow. A little less estrogen in it than most of what you get everywhere else. Uh, but uh, you know, I don't know. The hair on my face is growing. Uh, it feels good too. I don't know. I don't know. What I know is... What I know is if you don't care about your health today, nobody else is going to. What I know is if you don't advocate to learn your own information, what the government has sold you is part of a bigger package, which if you compare us historically and internationally, we're not healthy. It's not just that we're not healthy. We're not healthy. We're really not healthy. I'm going to be very frank. This is personal opinion. You disagree if you like. The most disturbing thing to me about the COVID scenario is that the greatest comorbidity factor is how much sugar and fat you are eating. How much of an American diet you have had that has pushed you into a diabetes that you were not born with. And if you had that scenario, COVID is not your friend. Now, what I don't understand is why no one's saying that. I would think we'd be shouting that from the rooftops. Instead, we're all wearing masks that don't prevent the particles that cause COVID. I'm not saying I got an answer, but I'm not going to not think about it. <laughs> you go watch TV in your corner if you need to, right? You go play a video game or do whatever, pretend like the world's not out there. I know what was happening to my body from the food I was sold and trained to eat. And I know what's happening to my body now. And I've changed what I eat. Now, so that's been good for me. Is it a sin for you not to do it? Not necessarily. However, if it's out of pure, selfish, narcissistic, gluttony and lust and unwillingness to do good for anyone, and your behavior is in fact disgusting, gross, and harming your very near family, potentially killing you young because you aren't even trying. I mean, God's in charge, but he's going to curse you for just not trying because he will. If you don't respect that he's in charge, you can't make him make you live longer, but you can jump off a bridge and you will die. So, yeah, right? Trust what he's going to do, but don't be a pompous fool about it. Be a wise person who understands that what you eat is what you are. And twice over, you are what you eat, ate, which is even worse because no matter how hard you try, unless you're very wealthy, you're kind of in a lot of trouble. But, I mean, um, but at the very least, you are what you eat. You are what you eat. And of course, I, mean, I learned that was it, uh, I'm going to lose it. Schoolhouse Junction? Yeah. Uh, I remember in Schoolhouse Junction, I'm pretty sure they had like broccoli, a bunch of stuff like that, right? Which is interesting because I'm not made of bark. I don't have chlorophyll. Uh, I don't do any of those things. I need oxygen. Broccoli doesn't even live on oxygen. It lives on carbon dioxide, the thing I, I don't need. That's poison. It's very interesting. Bro broccoli also has all these things called oxalates. Most plants do. Little crystals. Um, they kill 
insects. They're not a problem for humans unless you get too many of them. They build up in you. Then they cause things like kidney stones um, and uh, and other things. Uh, cramping in the hands, I, I believe, uh, seems to be what it did to me. In any case, um, I'm not made of a piece of broccoli. I'm made of mostly red meat and fat. I don't have any sugar. I don't. I don't. I don't make myself a sugar. Sometimes my my liver will produce sugar in order to give me sort of a nitro, you know, power boost of energy. But but by and large, I, I don't. I'm not made of sugar. Um, I'm made of fat and protein. And so that's mostly what I eat is fat and protein uh, because that's what I'm made of. And it, it's tended to work really good. The fat also becomes an alternative fuel to the sugar. It's amazing. So when you're not eating sugar, your body will start burning the fat. And it's, again, I said the sugar is a bit like a nitro that your liver makes to go, woohoo, like when you're going to run from a bear. And then the, the, the fat is more like a diesel fuel for chugging along every day. And frankly, it's felt great, right? But are you sinful if you don't join me in trying to get to some sort of ketogenic state? Well, I'm not even sure it's right to be in a ketogenic state. There's questions about long-term health because in theory, this really exists as part of our metabolism because we're supposed to be in ketosis through the winter and then into the spring. But as the harvest comes, we, we go into glucosis and we have our harvest and we have a great time. And so you go on a cycle. Well, I'm not doing that either, right? So I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm, really, I'm ready to die today. I said that earlier and so should you be. You ready to die today? Okay, if you're ready to die today, then stop living for yourself and decide what's my body good for that's not me. And that'll change the way you look at nutrition to begin with. And then ask, do I like hurting all the time? Like physically? No. Okay. Well, do I have to live this way? And you might think, yes, I do. Everybody knows you shouldn't eat as much of the stuff out of the box food as you, everyone's eating. We all know that. It's not a surprise. You just can't stop. Why? Well, I'm going to suggest you can't change your nutritious diet. You can't get healthy nutritionally because you're drunk on something else. And it's not alcohol. It's not tobacco. But it does involve, I don't know, laxity, decreased willpower, less sleep. Um, uh, what, what would it be? Uh, stagnate, stagnation. Um, uh, Non-thinking. Uh, kind of brain turning off. Yeah, yeah, watching stuff. Watching stuff. So my guess is most people have trouble getting to what, whatever they would define a healthy lifestyle as. The single greatest problem or, or inhibitor to your healthy lifestyle is your blue screen usage. I'm going to throw it out there. It's how much of the blue screen you rely on. And as a result, your willpower, your ability to make decisions has been sapped and continues to be sapped by this drunkenness-like state. Now, here, I'm going to say this very carefully. I don't believe that, that watching a movie is drunkenness in such an, an effect that you couldn't do it. In the same way that I don't believe that having a beer or two over a two-hour period is drunkenness in such a state that you couldn't do it. But if after two beers, you're going for three and four and five, you wonder why you don't feel good. It's not so different, really. I mean, even the chemistry in the brain is not so different. The other kind of crazy thing in this conversation, if you want my crazy, is I believe your brain and your gut are kind of tied to each other. I think there's science that shows this. And so the more our guts get messed up by a diet we're not really supposed to eat, um, I don't think anyone can agree, or I think we all can agree that what's in the boxes is by and large not how it grew. <laughs> yeah? Um, well, I mean, I'm uh, a tangent. You talk about moderation, and here's here's one of the tricks in all of this, right? Because no matter, I, I went off on carnivore for a second there. That's just that's the way I'm handling it. And it's hard for me not to be excited about it because it works so easy. I had weight just fall off of me. 
I have muscle just growing on me. Again, I got hair on my face. I've never been able to grow hair on my face in any significant way. It's, it's coming in places it wasn't before. Um, I'm, I'm jumping. I'm running. This is after a year and a half on this thing, and it doesn't show any signs of slowing down. Why would I not tell you about it? If you're having trouble losing weight, it's pretty easy. You just don't eat vegetables or sugar. I know. It sounds nuts. It's like everything they tell you is wrong is, is in fat and meat. Well... Do your own research. The question, is it sinful to not strive to be as healthy as possible? In today's age, how would you even begin? Someone says eat meat. Someone says eat vegetables. How would you even begin? What is sinful is to give up trying to be a good person. And if the way your dishealth or lack of health is there is something that will prevent you from being a good person, you need to deal with it. If it's going to get away with your vocations, it's your job to try to deal with it until God says, nope, I'm putting on your butt for real and you're going to deal with it that way. Well, then you've got a different kind of suffering to deal with. Most people hate that one worse than the rest because you have to let everyone else help you. Huh? Um, until it's in that point, though, your task is to try to be as able a friend to whoever you run into as possible. And if you have a body that works, you'll be better at that. If you feel good about yourself, you'll be better about that. If you're not angry, you're not going to respond angrily to people. Hmm? So, um, which is why the insulin cycle is a really interesting thing to look up. Yeah, read about it. Uh, so, um, I think I've answered your question pretty well here, but I really want to make it very clear that there's, this is a this is a gray line. But for each person, the gray it's a gray line for us, but it's a red line for you, right? So for for us, we cannot say this there here now. You're not healthy enough. You're not a Christian. But for you, there's a point at which your apathy with regard to your body that God redeemed by having Jesus' body die and rise. Your apathy with regard to your body and its impact on those around you, right, is indeed an apathy with regard to God saying, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's where the danger would come in, the thin red line for you personally. Where is it? I don't know. Have a conscience. That's really the answer is have a conscience. And then, I mean, take this one too. I mean, I think most Americans are in this state. I was in this state, paleo, and still 25 pounds overweight. Still fat. I was fat. I was. Um, I was ready to give up. I believe this is just the way things are. There's nothing I could do about it. Oh, well, I guess this is sinful life on a sinful world. I'll just have another beer. Hmm. Now, I'm not going to go into the beer right now, although I'm not much of a drinker these days. Don't mind it. Enjoy it. Um... But what, what I had to think, the hard question was, I've done all the possible things I can do sort of like praying to crystals, okay? Like, like I've gone as far as I can go, except this one guy I know who I trust who's a Christian named Will Whedon. He says he just eats meat and he feels great. And at 40 years old, pre-diabetic, arthritic, feeling awful, well, what's a month of meat going to hurt? <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. It's, it's completely backwards, but if you're really at that point where you don't know what else to try, I don't know why you wouldn't, aside from the fact that you don't want to get better. Cause, because there's this too. You can starve yourself better. You really can. People do it. People stay thin by starving themselves. I don't think that's healthy. They're kind of trying to cheat the system, right? Uh, you need to build your body out of what you're made of. You're made of protein and fat. We'll leave that one at that. And, and, and again, is it sinful not to strive to be healthy? At a certain point, yes, but you don't let your conscience live on needing to be healthy. 
That's not good. That's not what you're here on earth to do. You're not here to have a healthy body. You're here to receive what God gives you. Now, if you realize someone's poisoning you, however, you do not have to keep eating the poison. And I'll just leave that there, and you can debate me wherever you want. Go look it up, though. Do your own research. All right, that's the point. Let's move on here. To... Yeah. The other thing I really don't like about this is it auto... It is auto-default making this screen my primary screen, no matter what I do, and the new Mac update doesn't seem to let me change it, and I Google it, and no one says nothing anywhere because Google's useless these days. You'd notice this? Anybody notice this? Google once, you could find anything on Google, and now I can't find anything on Google. Like, I can find it, but not really, or it's some other thing, and welcome to the white noise, friends, and they taught us, they told us to, like, throw our books away and things, <laughs> you know? Oh, we'll have it all for you. Sure you will. Bob says this, if President Trump is not inaugurated in January 2021, uh, how should Lutherans pray for the government? I love this question. The same way we've been praying, my friend. The exact same way we've been praying. How should Christians pray for the government in which uh, uh, Joe Biden is the president is really his question. And certainly we can't pray for the success and health of the criminal opposition. Hey, you can. Hey, you can. I'm going to answer in depth. So I'm going to finish your question first. But yeah, you can. We pray for the Pope. We should. He's the Antichrist. I mean, come on. I, I'm interpreting the imprecatory Psalms as David's praying for the destruction of God's enemies. That's good. Not his personal foes. Well, no, no, no. It was that too. Uh, that interpretation depends on David being seen as God's chosen leader, representative of Israel. You're that. You're a Christian. Uh, help, please. God be with you. You're a Christian. You are David. You are in David's shoes. David is the anointing that Christ is, and he is in you, and you are in him. And to deny that is to deny who you are, slave of Jesus. Okay? So hold that. Know that. The imprecatory psalms are there for you to pray them against Jesus' enemies. And frankly, Joe Biden, baby killer, is Jesus' enemy on the baby killing matter. I don't know about the rest of his life, truly. There's all sorts of stories and they sound really bad. But I know he kills babies. How do I know that? He's a pro-abortion president. And he plans to flood the court, or he said he does, or he won't answer the question, but everyone else says he will, so we can kill more babies. So, I will pray. <laughs> May those who hate Zion be put to shame and turned back. May they be like dust upon the housetops, the grass which there grows and withers, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor he who bears sheaves his arms. Do good, O Jesus, to those who are good, but to such as turn away to their crooked paths, Jesus Christ shall lead them away with the workers of iniquity. Shalom al Israel. Peace be upon Israel. I miss that easy, man. Look. Let me give you, a, I'll give you like an old school. There's a guy named uh, Ray Brighton, sainted now, prophet at St. Louis, wrote a Revelation commentary that I agree with about two thirds of it. It's pretty good. It was really, it was the stepping stone I needed. Um, he was an eccentric old guy. He, he has, there's stories about this guy and stuff he do in class. I, 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 it might get me banned on YouTube, honestly. Honestly. Ooh. Everyone loved him. So he, was leading prayer in class. I wasn't there. I just heard about this. Uh, before we went in, I think it was Desert Storm 2, going after Saddam Hussein, WMDs. <laughs> That'll be on. Brief History of Power coming up this Thursday. We'll get into this a little bit. Anyway, um, he prayed the day of the war in class. And when we're starting the war, he prayed for Saddam Hussein. And he gave this long prayer in which he exhorted our Lord, if our Lord willed, according to his grace, to bring... Saddam Hussein to repentance, to 
faith in Christ to a understanding of what it means to be a good governor. And of course, we're all just listening to the merit narrative at this point, right? I don't know. Maybe Saddam Hussein was a good governor. It seemed like he maintained peace over there, didn't it now? Yeah. So that's that's a whole nother like blowback political science, global world warmongering thing. And frankly, none of us really know as much as we could. Not could. We can't know what they're really doing, so we shouldn't argue about it too much. But anyway... He said, but if he will not, if he will not be a good man, if he will not come to God truly, then dash him to pieces and send him to hell. And frankly, a Christian should be able to say that about every human being, not just your enemies. Let those who hate Zion be put to shame and turn back. If you don't want to walk with Jesus, see ya. It should not hurt my feelings. It will if you're my kid. It shouldn't. It will. And yeah, we're falling. <laughs> yeah. We love this world more than the next. We have gods here, even though our real God is outside of here. How do you pray for the president of the United States? You pray for the president of the United States no matter who he is. He's your president. But I didn't vote for him. Yeah, they've been saying that for a long time now, haven't they? <laughs> On the other side, even prepping you for this moment if you want to grab hold. This whole time, you haven't really been in charge of who gets to be president. That's not how it works. And the Electoral College is going to show you how it really works or doesn't work. It either works with the Electoral College or it doesn't work that way. And none of them are actually the popular vote. Never have been. Never should have been thought that it would be. Why would people argue that? Because they just, well, white noise. It's helpful if most leaders think it's helpful if you're confused and just trust me. Okay? I'm subscribing to a different theory. I think you should not trust me and know stuff. <laughs> Yeah, but I, but then we we work together, and I learn from you, and I shout louder what you think is right, and we together rise, right? That takes it takes a good leader who listens, it takes a good we, a good us who are willing to follow. Now again, how do we pray for this president elect AP announced if and when he is inaugurated? He's the president of the United States of America. I don't care if he stole it or not. Do you think the United States is this clean, clean, honest country? We're the head of the world power. The world power in every age is the mark of the beast. It's not like you can get out of it. You don't try to save yourself by avoiding the mark of the beast. The fact is we live in that power now. This is Babylon. This is Egypt. This is destruction among us. It was once Britannia. Before that, it was somewhere in the central European powers as they fought in the Middle Ages. But it continues to be wherever there is the world power rising up and then the ones across the sea too. Well, that's not Jesus saving people. That's Jesus wielding the sword to keep the world in just enough of the right control for his word about his resurrection to reach your ears. All this. So you'll watch and listen today. Get that. That's your God. That's your God. The imprecatory Psalms are his against your enemies. His words against your personal enemies. Because anyone who's an enemy of you is an enemy of Jesus. Oh, is it your fault? Well, then go make up with that person. Reconcile. But if it's not your fault and you are trying to reconcile and they hate you anyway. I don't hate you. Stop taking it personally. Ain't about you. I'm going to take a three-minute break here. Be right back. It is a Saturday morning Christian chill. No. It is the Mad Christian Saturday morning chill. We got questions about well, everything, everything, everything still coming your way. Hold on. 
Hey, Internet. My name is Jonathan Fisk. I'm here to rescue you. This is the Mad Christian Saturday Morning Chill. And we're going to do a couple of super chats here that you guys have uh, dropped in. Wesley Clark says, why not use the Benedict option? This is probably in response to everything, right? And that book was written before COVID, uh, before everything kind of got amplified for a few of us, right? Um, but his, his contest or contention is that, and I haven't read the book, um, uh, his contention is that American society has become so anti-Christian that we really have no option but to consolidate our resources and huddle up, more or less. Um, go into communities like Benedict did, and the Benedictine rule encouraged men mainly to do, um, but in some sort of, I think, familial-oriented way. Now, I don't have a problem with that as I just said it even, Aside from the huddled down, and I think if I'm understanding Dr. Kuntz's critique of the Benedict Option, it, it is like this, although I'd love to have him on this show to talk more about that. Um, but it's more the idea that we're supposed to uh, go somewhere else and hide is sort of the, the wrong answer. What we're supposed to do if we go somewhere else is go somewhere else and not hide. <laughs> yeah, or we're supposed to figure out how to gather where we are. And so there is, in my mind, a fair question. If you cannot gather where you are, and I don't just mean getting together right now with a church that may or may not be there to serve you and your family 20 years from now, but I mean gathering people to that place in a way that it'll be here 20 years from now. Um, if you cannot gather where you are, if you cannot find a way to put your hand to work in something other than just sitting there and absorbing whatever they want you to consume next, um, well, then I think I think Drew is right. You have to find a community where they're going to encourage you to be that person. Right? You have to you have to find a community where they're going to build and not just sit. And uh, in that regard, I might as well do the a little advertisement here. You know, I have said this before, and I want to make it really really clear because I know we have one gentleman out there who's contemplating moving to Rockford in order to go to church here in order to be a member at my congregation and in the hopes of someday uh, pursuing more than that. But I, I try to be really, really clear to him and I want to be clear to anybody. Like if you have an aspiration to be a pastor and you don't think that the regular route is for you, but the special ministry pastoral formation program, the S&P program uh, might be for you. Um, I'm happy to work with that program with people who want to work with that program. But just because you would say move here doesn't mean you're going to have that happen like this, right? Um, but here's here's the pitch. This is really the pitch. St. Paul's the congregation is going to build. I'm going to be a pastor here for for quite a while. You want me to be your pastor? You want to help me do something? Move to Rockford. Join my church. Let's do it. You know, um, we are in the middle we're in the middle right of a lot of things. Um, but at the same time, we have we have conversation happening. We have people from alternate sides of the aisle that have conversations and are willing to talk about it. Uh, we have a, a desire to be faithful to the Augsburg Confession. So in that regard, yeah, the Benedict option, yeah. What we don't want to do is retreat. But if you can find a congregation that you can help thrive, where you can raise children uh, bring or meet a spouse, uh, continue on for another generation after that, have a different mindset that's not afraid of what's going on today and trying to hide from all this old past is over, but is willing to like stand here. This is who we are. And if they kill us all, they kill us all. Otherwise, we're going to be ready to go, <laughs> right? Well, um, I think there's more than one that's like that. Um, uh, Rockford, uh, St. Paul Rockford definitely is one, but it wouldn't be the Benedict option then now, would it? It would be a little bit different, a little bit different. Um, now, again, without going into dryer, uh, St. Benedict did have something that he wrote that I'm I'm thinking more and more about. And that is, is his rule. Now, Benedict's rule is written for monasteries to manage themselves. Uh, 
What I'm really curious about is what it would be like for a father to use the rule in his house a little bit. I haven't really looked into that yet, so don't don't quote me on it. But if you're bored, <laughs> you want to try something else. The rule of St. Benedict was laying down not to be a moral code, but to be just a habit for household operation in a group of men, basically. Um, and there's something to that. But I don't I don't think that's Dreyer's point. I don't think that's Kuntz's point. I'd rather let Kuntz make his own point, and we'll see if we can get him on. Uh, and he's definitely going to come in and out of this area time to time in the future. Also got a uh, Jedi Knight Anakin Cringewalker throwing me this one. If I can get this other one to disappear. There we go. He says, uh, that's crazy. He's talking about the prayer for Saddam. That prayer you mentioned for Saddam Hussein, I prayed the same about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Three days later, she died. It's a very powerful prayer, but I think it needs to be a humble heart to pray. Right. Well, any imprecatory prayer is a powerful prayer. That's kind of the point. And it says something about us that we, you know, the LCMS published a hymnal, the Lutheran service book. I advocate I use it. It took a good number of the imprecatory prayers out. The Psalms are not there. We had to take a few out, I guess, <laughs> to make more room for the hymns. I like the hymns, uh, but the imprecatory psalms being the ones we took out, that should tell you something about who we are, shouldn't it now? And it might tell you why we're getting beat. If you don't pray against your enemies, you're going to lose. <laughs> God is there to pray against your enemies. Yeah, you're right. It takes a humble heart because you cannot pray against them the way they would pray against you. If you do, it will not be a Christian prayer and you will be crushed. Uh, uh, you must pray for them as you would pray for yourself in their situation. Oh, try that one on. And then with all that the Lord says, which is that if they will not be Christians, I better pluck out my eye, better cut off my hand. Think I'm going to listen to them, respect them in the sense of like, they're going to change me, trust them. No. Love them, have mercy upon them. Give them a drink of water if they need it. Yeah. Although there may come a time, too, when because of your office, you must, in fact, hurt your enemy. Because if you don't, well, then he's going to hurt others, too. This is why we have the sword. It's a bigger bigger conversation here. But I think, Anakin, um, what, you, what you really get us here is the idea that if you're going to pray at all, you need to be praying about real things. Not like, you know, dear Grandpa Jesus in the sky, may I please have more health and wellness in my life. May I please have more prosperity. May I just... Be more about me, live my life the way I want to for me all the time. Like, it's going to be less of that, right? It's going to be more like, I don't want to pray this prayer, Lord, because it feels like there's great evil going on, but you must stop the evil. Okay, yeah, there you go. And uh, if, if someone in the comments wants to take up the issue of whether or not Ruth Bader Ginsburg was evil, well, all men are born fallen, and I'm pretty sure she never repented of it, so we're just going to leave it at that, but you could, you know, duh. Oh, goodness gracious. Oh. All right, there it is. Bob says this. Now I can see it. Uh, if President Trump is not inaugurated in January 20... Oh, golly, and we just did this one. What am I doing? Uh, da, 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 da. Welcome to the life of confusion. We're going to do E now, which is just as controversial, if not more so. Is there a moral objection to the mRNA COVID vaccine, says Rebecca? Ah. Oh. Mad Mondays, which is too late for your church services tomorrow, you will have in your mailbox, if you've signed up for our Data Mining for Christianity resource every single week, if you signed up for it, this week's Mad Mondays is going to try to catalog and compile everything we know about COVID and the vaccines as much as we can in one place uh, to date so that you may make your own decision on this sticky wicket. It is a sticky, sticky wicket. I think I'm at a point, well, I was already not going to take it, but... 
I want to always be as objective as I can in presenting like when I'm not going to take it for a moral reason. I'm at the point where I'm not going to take it for what I think is a moral reason, but is based on a secondhand resource. And I'm not going to make you assume I'm right about that, but I'm going to try to get you to where that is. Okay. So there are, the way I see it, three challenges with the vaccine scenario. One is the history of vaccines and abortifacient technology that is using baby parts to make the vaccines. Uh, one is um, the fact that the RMNA are uh, the mRNA vaccines are experimental technology that alter your genetic code that have been green lighted due to a crisis without the kind of testing that often goes into things you inject into human bodies. Now, this is, I think, been done before. Kuntz on Brief History of Power coming up Thursday again. We'll talk about the 1976 vaccines that were used for, I think it was bird flu, uh, swine flu, uh, swine flu, uh, and how a quarter of the U.S. population was vaccinated at that point. Uh, and, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean bad things are going to happen to their immune systems now or their children's. I don't know, right? I mean, that's the argument. And I'm not going to pretend the people on one side don't get to get heard. So, um, the objection here morally would be it's untested, it's untried, you don't know, you're really signing up for a crapshoot, right? Russian roulette, go for it, man, with your DNA. If you are convicted in the process, I got no no qualms against that per se. So that's kind of the one thing, right? But, but in the using of the baby parts, that's sort of the second thing. And so there's a history within the vaccine community, the vaccination community, uh, in the United States and medically across the world to believe that the use of baby parts is great for vaccines. In fact, some of the vaccines you might have had given to you as a baby. I, think, I forget which ones I'm not going to say. Them. There's like two that I think I had given to me, um, which would have had uh, uh, lines from embryos that were used in the manufacture of this, right? So dead baby parts. And there's two very famous ones that are kind of the older ones. And there's a big fight about whether we should keep doing this. And of course, Joe Biden thinks we should do more of this kind of thing. And Donald Trump thought, no, we shouldn't. But of course, those aren't the real issues. The real issues are Trump is a, a Nazi and, and Joe Biden is going to bring peace. Those are the real issues. So, um, but, but aside from that, uh, you know, baby parts being used in vaccination technology is not a new idea and it is always a jeopardy with every vaccine you take. And so you need to do your own research out there and make sure you know what you're putting in your body. This goes back to that health question from earlier. And if you think just because the three presidents former lined up and had a picture taken, or at least had a picture from them being taken in the past used to say how they're all doing it now just for you. Well, maybe they are, maybe they are, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. No. So, but that's, that's less a moral objection to the, the, uh, sorry, the, the genetic stuff is not a moral objection to the genetic stuff. It's a, that's not a wise thing, right? That's where I'm like, I'm not doing it because that seems foolish, but not morally foolish, just stupid. Um, that's me. You know, you'd be offended if you need to. Uh, uh, but then the, the using baby parts thing, like we're not going to give our children those vaccines now that we know that they're there. As soon as we know that they're there, we're done doing it. We stopped using the birth control pill for the same reason. We found it's potentially abortifacient and it is potentially abortifacient all the time. And so we're not going to touch it. I'm not going to play Russian roulette with people's lives. And then that's where this becomes really frustrating with the Pfizer vaccine now being the one getting the green light and Pfizer and Moderna were the ones out in front and they did not use baby parts in the actual manufacture and, and, and the development of this, but in the testing and this is where the news was I, yesterday. I could say, I don't know. And unfortunately today I have to say that Pfizer's testing made use of abortifacient baby parts to conclude the tests to bring this to market. Now, where are you? I'm going to tell you I'm a pro-life person. I'm not taking the vaccine on that reason alone. 
even if it kills me. If you disagree, I'm not going to tell you you're not a Christian. I think this information may not even be trustworthy. I don't know. But again, it's sort of like, where's your default? And my default is, if it's not trustworthy, if I don't know, I don't act. It's even in my confessions, the Lutheran Confessions, Book of Concord. Did you know that? The Solid Declaration, Article 10, which most people try to use to do whatever they want, actually says, if you don't know, don't do nothing. Just try to keep it where it was, because that's probably better in the long run, because that's always the way it is. Call it Adiaphora. I don't know. So we're going to release again on Monday, our Mad Mondays, and the section that Frisbee is entirely working on is entirely given over to anything we can find about this. You check the sources. But we're not going to tell you it's not there because if it's there, you need to know. Especially if you're going to be injecting stuff in your body that may or may not have baby parts in it. This one does not. That may or may not have genetic altering material in it. This one does. That may or may not have used babies, dead babies, to come to market. This one does. So far as the most recent information I have found knows. Who am I? I'm a pastor. What do I know? I got the internet. Trust Google. Ha 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 ha. Fool me once, right? Uh, so, um, yeah. Yeah. Is there a moral objection? No. Are there concerns? Yes. And they're mainly concerns of the same scenario. How fast are you making decisions that have long-term impact on your life based upon the white noise surrounding a certain group of people's hatred for Donald Trump? How much are you going to not just have that impact to you in ways you can't control? How much are you going to, as a result of that, put yourself in a scenario where it continues to impact you? So now, this is not me saying moral. This is me saying wise again. I don't want nothing messing with my genes. Please, no. The wheat has done too much already. And you don't have to agree. That's fine. Then go take the vaccine. But it's where I'm at, right? My epigenetic scenario is not real good. I'm hoping it gets better because I'm putting protein in my body. Finally, after 40 years, I decided I should eat some of the stuff I'm made of. It helps. But at the same time, the genetic scenario that I'm in has left me with inherited allergies, immune deficiencies that my kids have in extremes. Oh, by the way, that was the third thing. You know, you know, if you do have allergies, you probably shouldn't take this vaccine. Well, you should look into it, right? Why? Because in Britain, people who receive the vaccine, at least two, right away, had very severe allergic reactions. Now, I know, like, the flu vaccine's got eggs in it. So if you're allergic to eggs, you shouldn't take the flu vaccine. I mean, a lot of vaccines have eggs in them, actually. So there's all these issues, too. Oh, but CNN said, I shouldn't say, that's too easy. That's too easy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No one else said not to. Well... In an age where most people are going to do whatever the group does because the group does it. If you're one of those people that doesn't do that, welcome to my show. <laughs> and and if, if it's not, the, I'm not against doing stuff because people do it. I just want to do it for a good reason, right? So all the lemmings running. Hey guys, what are we running from? We are running from a wolf. Really? That's good. I'll jog with you. Where are we going? We don't know, but there's a wolf behind us. Okay, cool. Do you see the cliff? Yes, but there's a wolf behind us. I'm not seeing the wolf. Doesn't matter. Keep running. Why? Because the guy in front of me is and the guy behind me is. I'll see you later. Yeah? Where's the wolf? I'll fight him. And, uh, you know, don't be an idiot. 
Don't go try to get COVID to prove a point. Don't get proud. Don't think you're going to do something great and strong and you're going to change. You are God's creature put where you are and he's got us under his thumb so he can crush us down to the dregs. I saw on Twitter this morning a philosopher I follow. His name is Bronze Age something and I'll leave the rest kind of not safe for work because it sort of is. I think he's former military. He definitely is an intelligent dude. I mean, the guy's got like philosophical ponderings for reals for Twitter. But I saw him calling on General Flynn to call on the not currently enlisted, but formerly military trained men to rise up. So this goes back to like, I mean, we're on the moral question about MRNA. Like, what do we say to these things? I live in a world where there are people who are former military people now calling on generals to have a coup. Actually, I respect the guy calling on it quite a bit. I don't think I'm going to go with him. And this is why I'm saying it. I continue to ponder pretty headily this proverb. A wise man sees trouble coming and hides himself. Now, I'm not talking about the Benedict option at this point. (laughs) The church, we got to get together, do what we do. But in terms of the calls to, say, go join this, that, or the other rising... Let me just say, if you are not military trained, don't do it. Don't even pretend you're gonna. Don't imagine it. Don't dream on it. You got no clue. And if and when any of this, I mean, if it really is bad, if there really is conspiracy going on, whatever you go out to shoot at, you're going to face private military. I really mean that. That's a guess. I don't know. But please, the history of young fools eager for war getting killed is long and bloody. What we're supposed to do right now, Christians, is be ready to help our local authorities if they need us. Be ready to resist our local authorities if we must. That is, they're going to kill your neighbor. Get in the way and stop it. But really, really, are you here to make the United States great? Or are you here because Jesus is Hear me? I think you do. Is there a moral objection to the RNA? No. Is there a moral objection to abortifacient baby virus parts and processes? Yes. How do you know? I don't know. You do your best. Mad Mondays is there to try to help. We're here to try to walk together as a we that doesn't assume that the bigger we that's crazy is right. Yeah, we're at least going to think for ourselves and then agree afterwards. So uh, question number F, number F, that's not even there because you guys put it there. This is from Judith. She says this, Pastor Fisk, I am quite concerned that I have been a secular moralist while thinking I was a practicing Christian. I love this question. Practical atheism, right? Yeah, me too. As a pastor and a Christian, I'm not saying I wasn't a Christian, but you're right. We've been living like it. Uh, My background was very fundamentalist where we were There were rules for what to eat, drink, how to date, what to wear, study, and believe. Um, So it's interesting you call that fundamentalist. I don't know that that is fundamentalist per se. Um, What that is, is regimented, legalistic, ethnic even, Um, uh, perhaps cult-ish. 
Yeah. Uh, however, Jesus said, follow me. It seems that he leaves us room to work a lot of things out for ourselves. No, I'm going to disagree with that. Um, I mean, yes, it's interesting. That's a really interesting statement. It's near the end of a full year one, on year. But if uh, you had any thought on this, uh, they would be appreciated. Uh, thank you for your time. I enjoy your videos. So uh, I, I may be missing a little bit of the question, but here, here I'm going to jive on your secular moralist thing and the practical atheism thing. Because the alternative was like, do as you're told in a cult, right? So you felt like you had the appearance of godliness because you could always see these things you were doing and you were all saying, this is what makes us godly. And in that regard, when Jesus says, follow me, he's not telling you to expect that. He's actually telling you, you probably will never see that. Or when you see it, it'll be a, a, a fleeting and amazing moment, not in which you all look the same, but in which you all believe the same. And you'll know it because of the joy, the interchange, the family that will take place, which is not about a handshake and a sale nay, later this week. Uh, it's simply that we are here and God is our God. Christ is our Lord. He has risen from the dead. You're paid for. It won't be long now. We believe it. But what I'm contending kind of on and off all over the place for myself is exactly what you said, that that the the... The skids were greased to act as a Christian pastor, ordained and moderately successful. I'm still here, which a lot of guys aren't, um, which is sad and scary and crazy, actually. But, you know, I, I think that the skids were greased to live a pragmatically atheist, pragmatically secular life. And I don't think any of us ever questioned it or could. We were born into it. And again, the TV for me was like training me from infancy on how to, how to see myself. And honestly, with how I do, I got to say it wasn't very healthy. I'm not going to let my kids see as much of it. <laughs> but as a result, gradually, the behavior patterns changed. And they weren't, I wasn't murdering people. Um, but in terms of the amount of my day that I would give over to self-absorption entertainment, basically, uh, was too much. It was unhealthy. And the amount of my day that I was able to think at all was zero. I was too busy rushing from notification to notification. And the amount of my day that I would spend reading the Bible because I was hungry was just gone. It was gone. I remember those days back before the seminary. I remember when I was hungry for the Bible. Now, COVID has given me a chance to rediscover these things. And again, I said, my eyes are open and I'm just praying they stay that way. I've come out of my, I've spent a couple months now really trying to decide whether or not I was going to truly reject blue light. Like, am I going to never play a video game again and not watch movies? I, I was really contemplating this. Um, for me, 42 years was enough, right? I mean, I really, I gave it all of 42 years. I think I can, I can take the rest for myself now, but you know, I, I don't want to push that on people because there's, there's a tendency when you realize you've been abusing something to then turn it into something others have to do to, you know, kind of justify yourself with it. And I, I don't know that danger is there, but I've actually decided I, I, I will, I played a video game with my son the other day and, um, but what I have decided is the way I got to treat this thing. This is like drinking hard alcohol. It really is what it's like. And the more you can see that, uh, particularly the entertainment wherein you are um, not standing <laughs> uh, and where you are in 
just frozen mode for a while, right? Um, for me, that's what I've got to do a lot less of because that is a pragmatic atheism in my world. A pragmatic Christianity would say, this was really interesting. This is amazing technology. It's, I, I, it's for children at best. And I'm going to move on now. Now, that doesn't mean I'm ever going to play a game again. In fact, I'm still hungering uh, someday in my life to get to try out the VR for, uh, um, uh, for Half-Life, right? just, to, just to see it. But back and forth, back and forth, the question is, like, can you step out of the assumptions you've, you've just been given by being raised on the bottle of what these stories tell you step out of that long enough to realize and ask what if other Christians from the past showed up, how would they handle my family doing this, this way, this often right now, what would they say of us gathered around this glowing blue thing? Right. And, um, would they be afraid? I think they would. And that's where it's gotten to my heart quite a bit. Not that we can't use these tools Right. But again, to recognize how powerful they are at forming us. So here's the other thing about it. Right. So these are images. Images are how you learn to see yourself. That's why the no graven images thing is there to some extent, is it doesn't want you to see yourself as God. Uh, and, and it doesn't want you to see other animals and uh, uh, well, plants, parts of creation as God. So every day that you're watching a screen, where there are other images going on with words and story, whether you know it or not, and whether it's intentional by the ones who created it or not, it can't be. There's too much of it, and it's flickering everywhere. Of course, the devil is the zeitgeist. It is telling you who you are. One way or another, it is showing you what the world is other than what you're seeing around you. And if you're at a certain point, you're going to flip into living in not reality simply by virtue of believing the screen. And that's where every Christian needs to begin to exercise some discernment, some maturity, and probably fast. If you're really going to think this through, you can't think this through while you're watching it. You can't. (laughs) Uh, You can't. So, you know, yeah, I'm concerned for that. Does Jesus give you more than just, you know, work it out for yourself? Yeah, he does. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my word. He says, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. He says, this is my flesh. This is my blood. He says, go into all these nations, baptizing and teaching. All those things need to happen together. And so you should be somewhere where those things are happening. We call that church or we used to these days. Church means anything you want it to mean. Club for people who don't like Jesus, but pretend to. Club for people who do like Jesus. It's all those things these days. I hope that what I've said continues to help. And I don't know. I don't know if I got more to give you on that one, but I pray, I pray for you. All right, so moving on. What are we at? 1038. Don't close that. Uh, it's like operation, right? You ever play that one? All right. Judith again says this, uh, your SM Show Thanksgiving Spectacular included a question regarding having children. The ensuing discussion brought another tale to mind. Our eldest daughter and her first child, no, sorry, our eldest daughter and first child, same person, I think, uh, was a lovely 18-year-old maiden preparing to marry the man she had chosen as her life partner. Four days before the wedding, it slipped out that her fiancé, under the influence of his Seventh-day Adventist parents, had undergone a vasectomy earlier that year. Anybody, This is not about Judith or her people. It's about every guy out there. The culture that decides it's not worth propagating won't last long. 
Um, if they convince you you're of no value, then you are of no value. It's sad, isn't it? Repent. You aren't. You're of great value, but the damage done. Wow. Wow. Um, this can go on a lot of levels, by the way. Um, hmm. This was done under the belief that Jesus would... Oh, this is the best part. Use Jesus as your excuse. Cultus. Sorry, SDA. Forget it. This is ridiculous. This is cultic behavior. They're trying to take over the planet. They're trying to take meat away. You think I'm crazy? Whatever. The, the, Helen White prophesied 100 blood odd years ago that meat is the cause of sexual sin in men. And ever since, they've been on a, a crusade across the planet to get rid of meat in our diets. It's there. They're doing it. They're not that strong, except that they are because vegans, you know? So, and if a vegan says, uh, if, I, I don't eat anything that has a mother or a face, they're just quoting the Seventh-day Adventist church. They don't know it, but they are. And this abomination that once was anti-Trinitarian too and kind of changed that, so now we all let them be okay. I really wonder sometimes how dark this web gets. But, um... Yeah, you gods, what drama. Uh, done under the belief that Jesus was coming soon and it, would be wi- it wouldn't be wise to bring children into the world to suffer through the end times. Um, I'm going to come back to it. There are, I've heard this said different ways before and it's so backwards when it comes to human people and the value of the human life as to be literally diabolical. It is diabolical. This is the devil's teaching. You gods, what drama. I begged my daughter on my knees with tears to postpone the ceremony until she could grow up a bit and make an informed decision. Of course, that didn't happen. Now, 30 years later, Christ has not returned. And the parents sit in their conditioned comfort, wringing their hands about the Pope and the mark of the beast. My daughter wistfully regrets not having children and my son-in-law tries to cope with his sense of loss. How? If it... uh, (laughs) It all really does matter anymore. Um, doesn't matter anymore. Are you sure? Uh, but I just wanted you to know the depths false religion leads people in the anti-human nihilism that is the end result of uh, this tosh. I think that means something else. Come Lord Jesus, amen to that. Um, well, look, it's not over yet. I mean, they're both going to be old someday and there's going to be a lot less people around. How old are they? You know, 30 years later, 48, my, you know, my age. So in 20, 25, 30 years, who's going to take care of them? When you're gone, everyone's gone. What they going to do? They're comfortable now. Okay. That's the thing people don't really think about. The reason God gives you children and it's, it's in the Bible seen as a very tragic thing when you are barren, uh, is because you need them. You do, uh, your life will go much worse without them. God remembers the barren. And in Christianity, there's a place for the barren. In fact, there's love and mercy. There's a whole book about, you know, what happens when a woman becomes finally barren and how she should be redeemed. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't do it quite the same way as Ruth did, but it's the idea is there. Huh? Uh, we've lost all this because feminism is so strong. We can't even talk about it. You know, we're, oh, we're afraid. Someone will be mad that we're, we're patriarchal or something. You know, that we have fathers. Oh, crazy people. Um, so, yeah, uh, they're in a tough spot. And you're right. There's nothing to be done to change it and go back. I don't think. Um, but there is uh, the need to think about the ramifications long term. And yeah, wringing their hands about the mark of the beast and the Pope. Well, they've been doing that for 200 years to keep you distracted from everything else they're doing to you. Cutting off your lineage. Cutting off your lineage. Um, there's going to be, an, I think there's another question here coming up. Oh, I'm going to look ahead. No, that's not it. Okay. So, Oh, this is it. Oh, what I want to talk about. So the, this argument, 
I still can't. I, I put it out of my head. That's how annoying it is. The belief that Jesus is coming soon, so we shouldn't bring children into the world for the end times. Now, if you really want a Bible verse to try to make this argument, you can find one, because Jesus says, woe to you who are childbearing at this time. Notice how Jesus doesn't say, don't have kids in case you might be childbearing at this time. He doesn't say that. He says, woe to you if you are, which doesn't mean you're going to hell. It just means it's going to be harder, so pay attention and be ready, which is that always, whenever there's someone who's going to bear a child and she's at nine months, you kind of got to pay attention. I mean, it's not like it's... Rocket science again, people. I mean, but but to think, there's there's two ways this argument gets made. One is life's so bad now we're overpopulating, we need less people or else we're all going to die. Because we're not all going to die if we don't have more people somehow. It'll, it'll make everything better. So you got that one. And then you got this, which is like, well, Jesus is going to come back like in two days, so shouldn't have a baby now. Okay, well, on that one, you know, that means you believe babies don't get saved. That means you believe that young humans are not Christians who were not there before. That means that for the sake of your selfishness in the end times and your fear to carry a cross, which God gave you in the end times, you're going to deny the existence of an eternal soul. That's what it means. Oh, I can't actually, you're right, you can't do that. But God can let you as a punishment for your unbelief. And he can let the whole civilization around you fall down because there's no brothers to help each other stand up. Because you thought you knew the end of the world and you could play the game for your own profit by following a false prophet. If you see what I did there. Helen White, false prophet. For the Lutherans, God help us save the world from the Lutherans. If they knew their stuff, they'd help everybody. But they're too busy being proud of their heritage and not even knowing what it is. Cutting off their own lineage. There's, they, Lutherans fall in for the argument that the, the vegans are making, right? There's too many people on the planet. We need less people. Okay, you haven't studied more than 100 years ahead in the future in terms of futurism then. You're not paying attention. Because if you stop having people now, like they're telling you to, we're going to be in a lot, we're gonna be in a lot of trouble anyway. We're already there. 2050 is a problem. We're going to work on Mad Mondays for this as well and make this as loud as we can again. I did a couple years ago that the coming population implosion is unavoidable and we really don't want to throw like world wars on top of that around 2050. That'd be really bad, but I don't know. I don't know. Who knows what the Lord's going to allow to happen here. Hmm? But uh, the idea that somehow because there might be a world war in two years or three years or 10 years or 20 years or 100 years because bad things happen on this planet because people have fallen and are sinful and it goes on as it has from the beginning therefore now we're so special we don't have kids now you know who that's going to hurt well not your kids you don't have any my kids they won't have any neighbors that will happen if we stop having kids and they're telling us to and they're trying to make us do it. Now, my guess is there's people groups who are still having kids. So if you're the people group that's decided not to have kids and you're the only ones doing it, well, that's interesting, isn't it now? Why do other groups ignore these encouragements while they say the public should do them? Hmm. Why do other groups who ignore these and say the public should do them also put abortion clinics in black neighborhoods? Well, because the black people ignore this and they got to deal with it somehow because they don't want those people and they don't want us. I'm not saying I even know. All I know is if you're taking yourself out, it's because they convinced you to do it and it shows that you're not the fittest. And that's just the, you know, the pragmatic secularist talking. Christianity says every baby's going to be a 
Christian, you're going to baptize the baby, raise him in the faith, you're going to teach him the way they should go. Why would they ever depart from it? It's going to be the entire focus of your entire life because it's what you believe more than anything else. Why would you not have as many as you can? Oh, as many as God will give is maybe the better way to say it. Oh, because stewardship. <laughs> stewardship. <laughs> you unbelievers. This is ridiculous. We will use anything to defend our flesh. And that's, that's the real issue here. That's why this is such a scary question. It's about our flesh. And for too long, we've been unwilling to reckon with that. If we're going to live with families, then we can't live the way the world is living. And this generation is going to make that decision. And some of us are going to choose one way and some are going to choose another. And it's going to be a class distinction that will occur as a result. And it's probably going to last more than 100 years or more. It's going to have to because it's about generations. There's, there's generation right now. Right now, you, me, 20 to 60. Eh, too late for 60. 20 to 43. 20 to 48. You are in the place of deciding what the next generation will look like. And if you don't have any, it'll be one way. And if you have some, it'll be a different way. And historically, population shrinkage and gross national um, product shrinkage, they go together. (laughs) Food, prosperity, uh, easy winters, same thing. So, you know, we're just not set up for a lot of real good things here in this. And the idea that then we're going to argue the Christians shouldn't be trying to be the best we can to face whatever is in our way. You think somehow you're going to go get a job in the public education sector as a woman, as a teacher, and you're going to go there and you're going to do more for those kids to help them find Jesus than you will with the three, the seven you can have at your home and raise day by day all the way through the day. Brainwash them in the best kind of way to be your actual black arrows to shoot at the world. I mean, there's a reason they convinced you not to do that. It's because it would work. And you would jeopardize their system of, well, the endless casino, right? They just want you to keep putting the quarter in, feel better, watch another movie. Go to work, do your job, say yes, be obedient. Do not, do not look behind the curtain. Do not believe that Jesus is risen in such a way it means the devil's actually running everything else. Don't believe that. Yeah. Be a practical atheist instead. Hmm. Samuel says, love the New Year chill chat. Have you ever considered how for the Old Testament church they would celebrate the Passover right at the start of the New Year? What a way to begin a New Year. Yeah, 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 it really is. I guess in a sense that's what Christmas is, right? I don't know that we can go against the um, the wind on this, though, in terms of America's financial year being, beginning in January. But leading up to Advent, you got Reformation Sunday, All Saints Sunday, and then Advent. And then Christmas three weeks later. I mean, bum, 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 bum. It starts off with a bang. We're just not paying attention. You know, All Saints Day is kind of like, it's New Year's Day, right, in a sense. But it's actually New Year's Eve. It's the Sunday before, right? Oh, I'm, I'm wrong about that. You got, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm way off. There's three weeks of end times services that end with Christ the King or the last Sunday in the church year. Sorry. So you have, but again, you have festivals just starting to go crazy. You've had this long summer with no festivals and you go Reformation, All Saints, Christ the King, Advent, Christmas, pow. And yeah, it's Passover in, in spades. The reason why we don't do Passover is we're not Jews. <laughs> and so we do Easter instead, right? Uh, and that, that comes up later, later in the year. Um, so I'm glad you like that idea. I don't know how we get ourselves internally to really go against the water so much, right? I'm trying to, for my own part, 
to consider this 20, <laughs> it's Advent 2025, even though it'll soon turn January 2021. I'll write that on most of my documents, right? But for my own spiritual sake, um, I'm in Advent 2025. Uh, our Lord, I don't think is going to return this year, but only because um, that's just my default position believing that I'd prefer him to, right? So if, if you don't want him to return, that should not be your default position. If you don't want him to return, your default position should be that he might return today. <laughs> yeah? But if you really would prefer to die, if you really would prefer to have Jesus come back and end this world, if you finally reach that point of maturity, which takes a while and not everybody reaches it, it doesn't make you magically good anymore. It just means you have that kind of thought in your heart now. You finally reach that point. Well, then you know you can go on and... and uh, um, uh, kind of believe Jesus is not coming back today and do with your hands what you can find. Listen to Solomon, you know, put your hand to the task because uh, you're not going idol- to uh, idolize it. You're not going to make it into something you worship, at least not right away, um, because you just assume would go to the real place, uh, which is why you keep staying in the Christian life and getting encouragement from the brethren and getting the food of immortality so that you can go back out into this world, see it for what it is, not be offended or personally hurt by it anymore, even when it really hurts you. Because it's not even yours. It's God's, and he's giving you a corner to stand up in. Yeah, to stand up in and shout, yeah, New Year, Advent, time to do that. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He has visited and redeemed his people. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying. Let's go ahead and check out a little bit of Talk Them Into It here this morning as well. This is my book, Talk Them Into It, which continues to sell in Bursts of two and three copies a day. It's pretty low-end kind of stuff. We aren't changing the world just yet. But let me tell you this. I remember, and I've said this before, most books don't last three months at the sales rate that they're at. They decline pretty swiftly, in fact. So the fact that we continue to plug along here with this tells me we got more in this book than we realize. Otherwise, you know, the one criticism that you know reads like a bunch of notes kind of is a bunch of notes, but, but actually it, it doesn't, that, that criticism falls off. It would not be selling anymore if that were the case. So, but let me stop trying to sell you when I read it to you. He is risen. The diplomat, that's you. The diplomat's power and purpose is his office. It is, I was saying this earlier, if you're a slave sent by a king, you're not a slave anymore. You're the king incarnate. Now, I mean, you can still get killed by the king for abusing your power, but, but, but as far as everyone else is concerned, you're actually the king. Christian, should think that way a little bit. Not your opinions. You don't get to speak your own mind in the matter. You're supposed to only speak for the king. Eh, it's powerful, though. Your power and your purpose is the office you bear, Christian. I'm a pastor, I got an office there too, but by the, most of what the pastor's office is, most, not all, most of what the pastor's office is, is what a Christian man should be. And then you add publicly, he has to be testable by it. And then he gets to talk a lot. <laughs> Those are most of them, right? Those are most of them. Um, we trust him to talk because we test him publicly and he's willing to let that happen. And not everybody's really up for that. And you don't really need to be. But everything that the pastor is believing about his authorization, you should have as a Christian to speak what you believe. Uh, uh, your power and your purpose is your anointing, your baptism, your office as a Christian. You are Christed. Uh, an officer is an official who has been charged with an office, whether or not there is a copier to get the task done, right? So so once you have an office, it means you are an officer. You have official truth. Hmm. The task is the point of an office. So, right? so whatever the office or the power is, is there for a goal, for a duty, for a task. And the office is the authorization to do the task. I tell you, my slave, go do this with my name. So God makes a baby and father and a mother are officially bound in the office of father and mother. 
This means there is much more at work in an office, but the work itself is not the office. That's important too. So when you have a certain authority given to you by God, like you are a Christian, there's more going on than just the authority that you have now, much more going on. And yet the office and name itself is the greatest thing of all. It's the thing which really matters. The name is the power of Jesus. Uh, when it comes to, <laughs> looking around my mic stand, when it comes to asserting and reasserting the historic fact here, I know I can fix this smarter than the computer, Jonathan. Uh, when it comes to asserting and reasserting the historic fact that Jesus of Nazareth is risen from the dead, thereby announcing the transaction of buying the universe as the ultimate blood price for this age's prince of darkness, Jesus has authorized everybody. I'm going to say it again. When it comes to talking about his resurrection, you're authorized. It's just a fact. All of us are to say it. And, important caveat, next page. My sheep hear my voice. This does not mean, oh, you guys can't see that. There you go. This does not mean that all Christians are authorized to do all things. No. But it does mean that there is only one thing that makes a Christian, and that is the same thing which sustains sustains a Christian, which is talk about the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and return of the everlasting King of all men, Jesus Christ. This is deep enough to never finish learning, but you only really start learning once you start to talk about it. Um, wrong button again. Shock them into it. You can get this on Amazon.com. You can also get an absolutely free digital copy by signing up for Mad Mondays, the newsletter I've been trying to pitch you all morning. Uh, it will, uh, when you sign up, you get that delivered to you right away. Multiple types of copy. If you don't want to buy that book, but you feel like buying books for Christmas and you think they might still get there on time, they might. Uh, Without Flesh is my most recent officially published book from CPH. It did not do as well as I would like. You know why? Because COVID came out like two weeks later. Why would the devil not want you to meet together to have the Lord's Supper as the answer to all your problems as the church? Hmm. Anybody else pick up on the irony in that? Echo, by the way, a great way to learn everything you need to know about basic Christianity and Broken, a great way to learn everything you know about what the devil wants you to believe. These two books with all the rest are there for you anywhere you can find your books like Amazon.com or CPH.org. Did that sound terrible or what? I hate selling stuff. I really do. Um, All right, so that was those two things. Talk them into it. I know I got at least one announcement I haven't talked about that I should talk about every week. And I have this idea I want to talk about with you. What time is it? 10.57. So um, we got time to chill a bit more. If you, I'm going to go back and look at, oh, we got this one too. All right. Now, one more question from you all already here. I want to make sure I look at the comments. So if you guys have questions that you've seen, go through the comment thread today that you'd like to see brought up and I haven't talked about. Once you try to retype them in the next couple of moments, I'll go look there in, in a moment with that. Um, but let's go ahead and move over here to this one. Oh, I need some coffee. Hold on. All right. So, hey, Pastor. I don't know if you have... <laughs> I got to work on this setup here, apparently. Um, I don't know if you have... See, uh, I don't know if you'll see this. I do, but I'm usually at work during your live streams. I'm wondering if next Saturday you can give us your view on soul sleep. Hold on. Let's do it that way. Uh, my pastor, LCMS, got me thinking about this. He holds to soul sleep, which you found surprising, as you should, because technically he shouldn't. It's not really what we hold to. And as a body, we're quite unified, really. I mean, we've got some real problems too, but there's there's a certain level of unity that we ought to realize not all church bodies even get to enjoy. Yeah. Um, so 
this is really a surprising thing for me. Um, I can see it being supported, you say, uh, biblically based on some points he made. I'm sure. He, I'm sure. Um, I, I think the East holds to it. I, I don't know as much about that, honestly. Um, or many of them do. So I know it's not novel. It's not novel per se. Just curious what you have to say. I'm sort of undecided personally. I do favor the idea that we have a sort of conscious rest in the interim, but closing your eyes in death only to open them in the seemingly split second to see Christ standing before you in your new and indestructible body also seems pretty cool. Sure. Uh, and if, I mean, something seeming cool ultimately isn't the, you know, the reason, right? So we need to find out what the Bible really says. And then if it's cool, well, it's going to say stuff is cool. Then we realize, oh, it says cool things. All right. So, um, if you believe we remain conscious in, in some capacity between bodily death and resurrection, uh, where's sweet spot biblically orthodoxy and the more platonic ghost of the machine type view? Uh, many people, including most Christians, have given quarter to. Where is it? What is the question? And if you believe we remain conscious in some capacity between bodily death and the resurrection, where's sweet spot? Okay, where is the sweet spot between orthodoxy and the ghost of the machine view, right? Which is what, uh, you know, soul sleep, basically. Uh, can the common idea that we rest consciously in heaven after bodily death be reconciled with the biblical idea that we are body and soul as creatures? <laughs> I love, this is a great question in this way. We are such unbelievers. It exposes our unbelief. I'll show you. You're not, you're not going to hell, but like it shows you how little we think about it. If you hold, especially that argument. Um, if you hold a soul sleep, do you believe we retain our memories and recognize loved ones in the resurrection? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I don't hold the whole soul sleep. Uh, sorry for all the question, but I'm a relatively recent convert of only a couple years to wrestling with some of these ideas. Yeah. Yauta prime. Um, all right. So in our day and age, a, th a phrase like soul sleep is going to be, it's a technical term that means something unavoidably consistent for pastors, right? So if you say that to a pastor or to a theological group, it has a defined reality, which I want to make sure you're clear, then that's what I'm saying no to. The idea that when you die, you will rest, you will sleep, you will be with Christ. Um, all of these are the way the Bible teaches. Uh, it, and in that then, to believe that we are asleep in Christ is just to quote the Bible. But see, soul sleep, what that means is that more or less you're not asleep so much as non-existent. And this is really important. Where's your soul when you're sleeping at night? Mm, does it stop existing? No. Okay, well then why would you insist that what Jesus calls sleep means your soul doesn't exist just because you want to wake up suddenly far away from now? Maybe the experience is a lot like that, only even better because it's something brand new. Oh, but you're too busy assuming things and wanting to hold together a certain patchwork quilt to avoid some other thing. Hmm. I want to push on that idea. Okay, so the idea that the reason you have to have soul sleep is because a human is a body and a soul. <laughs> God, I love it. We take Greek philosophy and we just shoehorn it on the Bible and then shove stuff out the other side call it gold. <laughs> the idea that you're a body and soul and this is what makes a human while the Bible speaks in a certain way of your fleshly and spiritizing, it does not really have all of these assumptions about the division of body and soul that Greek philosophy does. And to import that over, say, the suke, the psyche idea of the New Testament uh, or, or uh, the... Um, the nefesh, the life spirit 
the power of your body, actually, your mind, um, to, to say those things are this like fleeting soul that goes to heaven with Jesus and your body. I mean, that's just, you're really importing a whole lot of stuff over the creation when the creation itself and life being in us is a full-on mystery. What we know is that the breath ceases and the breath, shorthand for spirit as well, tied to oxygen, but not tied to your mind. Absolutely, your heart for sure by the blood and all that. That's going to go... And then what we see of you will no longer breathe and will be put in the ground and will be raised again, wherein you, who are with Christ now, will be here again. Now, you're with Christ now when you're not dead, too, so don't miss this. Ephesians says this, you're seated with Christ at the right hand of God. So, again, let me throw one more on this. What did you also eat for the Lord's Supper last week? Was it the body and blood of Jesus Christ? And so now you're suggesting, let's just play this one out. Can you, can you do it? I'm trying to inductive this thing because it'll be better. You'll understand if I don't tell you the answer. So you're saying that a human is a body and a soul. And when the human dies, the body goes in the ground, the soul goes to heaven, but the soul doesn't really exist because it's, it's a sleeping. So it's just the body. And because, the, because it's so a part of you, your psyche is so a part of you that without your body, it can't exist, which actually physically almost seems right if you look at the science of the whole thing. And so since you're going to go to heaven where there's no body, therefore, you'll have to be asleep. Now, what I want to just tell you is you just spoke anti-Christian heresy if you said that. When you go to heaven when there's no body, where you don't have a body, be careful. Are you sure? Now, this body's not going to be in heaven. Have you seen it yet? Have you put the math together yet? I haven't told you the answer because I want you to get it on your own. This body won't be in heaven, but you're going to have a body in heaven. And if you don't think you will, you're not paying attention. I don't even want to tell you the answer. I'll make you go find it yourself. Did you figure it out yet? How are you going to be non-existent in the actual body of Jesus Christ as part of him? You think heaven is going to be somewhere without Jesus? He's a human, fully human. You're a member of his new body. I don't care how mystical you want to get. I think it's pretty clear. I don't care if he's on a throne or if he's scattered at the edge of the universe. We had to argue about that one back when too. What I know is when I die, the fact that I'm already in Jesus is going to continue. And whatever conscious state I have will be in his body, not bodiless. And if he wants me to have a semi-conscious restful bliss, so be it. But then again, the saints under the altar in the oft-quoted book of Revelation, which ought to teach us all things, but no one really pays attention to it, they're praying. Takes a little bit of attention span. But then again, Jesus is praying too. What a thing to have my psyche bodiless, yet fully embodied in the prayers of Jesus, waiting for him to put me back so I can praise him from outside. I don't know, but I'm not going to put up some novel that is completely made up idea. And so it is novel in that regard. Now, if the East hold to this, I don't think it's necessarily the heresy that puts you outside. I mean, I said a moment ago, like if you actually get to the point where you think Jesus' body isn't in heaven, because you said it, I'm just calling you on it, right? If you get to that point where you think that, that's problematic. The East doesn't think that. You don't think that. But look at the implications of the question. Look at the kind of Gnostic, bodiless Jesus you believe in. Fascinating, no? 
<laughs> Yada Prime, thank you so much. And please don't take any of that personally. It's all meant to encourage, exhort, and build you up. I also this morning want to talk about this. I wanted to open with this. <clears throat> this will have to come back. I actually think I want to start advocating that the United States government should burn Bibles. They really should. Bible's a dangerous book. It says all sorts of stuff. It's got me kind of going nuts, actually. Um, I believe it. I don't believe a lot of other things that are being told as grand sweeping future narratives. I've noticed that every time somebody doesn't do something, it's because someone else told them a story about the future. They prophesied the future would go this way if you did that. And I've found more and more Christians are willing to say, I believe these prophecies rather than what the scriptures say. And the more I say, forget that, the more I realize the Bible is a dangerous book. And if you really are a communist out there, you need to get these Bibles out of our hands and burn them as soon as you can. You should probably kill us all too. You really should. Because we're not going to stop. We're going to stop believing that men are men and women are women. We're, going to, we're, going to, we're not going to stop. We're going to keep believing that men are men and women are women. We're going to keep believing that marriage is a man and a woman with children. We're going to keep believing that sons are a legacy from Jesus. And if we want to fight the future, it's by having sons and then daughters to be with them because all the fruit of the womb is a reward. We're going to keep believing that. We're going to keep believing that if you lie, you're probably going to hell. Like if you just do it all the time, you don't think about it, you're going to hell. Liars go to hell. Thieves too. Yeah, it's nuts. It's awful. We're also going to keep believing that Jesus is dead and not dead. He's risen, never to die again. And that this pays for all this stuff. So you don't have to worry about hell so much as about right now. But of course, you're too busy chasing right now, most of the world, aren't you now? Yeah, so you're too busy chasing right now to know this. And so you're probably also going to hell. Unless, in fact, you know you're not. Because this man ain't going to let you. But when you believe all that to that point, suddenly, what the man out there is saying, it can't change you anymore. It can scare you. It can impact you. But it doesn't get in the mind the same way. And I'm going to, again, contend. you got to turn off TV for a while to have this work. you got to be able to like write and see what you wrote and write it again. Sit and stare and think about it for a while. And consider who you are. And what the Bible told you to be. And then ask if you're feeling so bad about all of it, why you want to defend it so badly? I fully am convicted. I will suffer every day the rest of my life. I fully am convicted. I will not achieve riches and glory. I fully am convicted. There's an outside shot. My kids die before I do. I am fully convicted. One disease or another is going to take me out. And I'm free. Doesn't matter to me. I'm just going to keep telling you he's risen until I die. And I'm going to realize believing that and being free enough in that for you to kill me if that's what it comes down to. It proves its own point the moment it happens for me. And for you, it proves its own point for the judgment day if you're the one that shot. I'll let the judge deal with all that. And that's part of this, right? You have to let the judge be the judge. You've got to believe he actually exists. You've got to believe there's really an enemy. You should pray against him. All these things have been taken for you. We've done that this morning in this show. As you've asked the questions, why aren't we having these things anymore? I don't know. You would think Christians would defend these things. But we haven't. And I'm one of them that hasn't in some ways. 
I instead sat there and complained, oh, how am I supposed to say the catechism every day? There's too much going on. It's really hard. I, oh, but I'll go home and watch TV for three hours, play Fallout. It's not that the Fallout's wrong. It's that they're not saying the catechism and whining about it is. You know? And how much of this is just me not, what, going through the right rite of passage to be the man that I think I need to be for this hour? Well, a lot of that's me just not standing up and deciding I'm going to be a man then. Guys. Jeremiah Anakin says this as well. He says, it sounds like Jesus will breathe out our nephesh when our bodies can't any longer. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, a, a great comfort. Uh, forget brain uploads. I want Jesus to maintain me. That's exactly right, though. That's right. So you will be in Jesus. He breathed on them and gave them the spirit. I, I you know I can't tie it directly to airflow. But then again, that's the image the scriptures have given us. And to see then, to believe then with all certainty that yeah, forget putting my mind in a computer so that later we can rebuild a body. Look at how they're trying to do what you have in Jesus already. Even as I say it, I find my own heart go, I don't know, do I? Yeah, that's how it works. You preach the truth to yourself, to others, to the mirror, doesn't matter. And then the devil comes and he, he lobs in the salt on you and says, none of that's true. None of that's true. Yeah. And you got to say, yes, it is. And then you know, that wasn't you. He has risen. That wasn't you. It wasn't you alone. Hmm. Hmm. Yes. You can't say it without him. He's going to do it. I don't say it enough. Well, then he's got to do it, doesn't he now? You're not going to make him come out of you. You're going to ask him to. And then he will. And then he will. All right. So, do, 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 do. Yes. Uh, a couple other comments here just so we go on our way. Brian Wolfmiller chimed in this morning and says, The birth of Jesus was the first day of a new age, the new aeon. Amen to that. The ionic replenishing i think is what it was once called once upon a time uh let's see here we got a great uh christmas hymn Evan hymn recommended from heaven above to earth i come and uh, a glad new year to all the earth new year's day is christmas day is the way that uh luther's song kind of looks at it although we do sing it in in advent um but well not a lot of comments here on the side this morning um i guess it was entertaining enough if you have not yet oh oh this i should have started with this too apparently um, apparently some of the major platforms are less stable than they used to be for certain voices. Hi, I'm still here at the moment. I think if you would like to be able to continue knowing what I'm saying in the event that YouTube, just YouTube decides I don't get to say it anymore. I don't think I'm out far enough yet. I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty wily at the moment, but, but it could happen. Okay. Um, cause, cause they, they don't have the algorithms like pinned down to everything I say yet, but they're trying. Right. And at some point, it's probably a good chance that it gets shut off. And you know, what, what's the option is the option to, um, go start something else new right now and abandon YouTube. Well, no, for me, that's not the option. I'm going to stay here till they keep me off and then we'll reboot. Yeah. Ouch. I know it's going to hurt a lot, but I got other platforms. I'm more concerned about making the stable reality. Okay. Like the mad Christian discord. So if you really want to stay with the teaching that I and others I'm bringing to you are doing in case the pipeline gets shut off, the way to do that is to join the mad Christian discord or to get the mad Monday's newsletter. Those two things will be the least likely to be taken away anytime soon. The newsletter is the guarantee almost almost, that we can continue communicating in the event of an actual shutdown of information. Not so I can tell you about coronavirus, but so I can tell you about Jesus, right? Um, that's the thing they really want silenced at the end of the day. I know they don't say it. The devil doesn't say it. That would that would be obvious. Why would your enemy... Don't ask a barber for a haircut. No, don't ask a barber if you need a haircut. I blew that one. Oh my. Don't ask a barber if you need a haircut. The Bible's dangerous book. Open it. Get into those Proverbs. 
See if they don't make you the man you thought you were. And ladies, ladies, daughters of wisdom, if you're not praying the Sons of Solomon prayer, which you, you can, really, but have you checked out the Daughters of Wisdom prayers? I, I think it's, what is it? 131 and 132, 134, and then, oh my goodness, King Lemuel, Proverbs 31, the whole thing, what his mother taught him about how to be a man and what his mother taught him about how to find a woman. Ladies, 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 they have stolen this from you. Go own it. Go grab it. Guys, get into your Sons of Solomon Proverbs. Or, get into your Sons of Solomon Psalms. You can check all that on the Mad Christian Discord too. I don't like advertising like this. We got to make some videos so I can say goodbye and not have to remember everything. Oh my, 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 my. Patreon. Patreon. Patreon also could shut me off at some point, but it's a good place to go because like when YouTube shuts me down, Patreon will be behind that and we'll be able to kind of like turn that corner. Hopefully again, if we even get shut down, I don't know. They don't like Jesus. We know that they don't like Jesus because Jesus makes them feel bad about the evil they want to do. But how much will they let Jesus preach in a corner? That's what we don't know yet. It's clear that if you try to make a living taking out Joe Biden, you are probably going to get taken out by a larger media outrage. But we're not really in that business here, right? We're in the business of guerrilla style data mining for Jesus. We want to know what's really going on so you can make in time real wise decisions with your Christian faith where you are. That's the goal. That's the goal. And again, so do you want to stick with that? Mad Monday's newsletter. Got to get on it. Redfist.com slash newsletter. Redfist.com slash contact. You can send a question to the show. We'll do it on, you know, big, big, pretty and all that. Um, and uh, <laughs> Patreon, Patreon. Because again, if YouTube goes down, I'll be able to get you on Patreon before Patreon goes down and it'll go down eventually too. But eh, maybe it won't. I'm kind of under the impression. I really do think this. I think we're going to be able to swim in this environment on the other side of these five years, three years, one year. I don't know. I think we're going to be able to swim in this environment. Um, It's just going to be different. And so we got to get used to being a, I used the word cult earlier as a negative thing, right? I'm not talking about mad Christianity. I'm talking about Christianity. We got to get used to being treated like a cult by the outsiders. That's what it comes down to. And not being offended by it. Like, oh, there are a bunch of weirdos out there who don't believe what we believe. Eh, Okay. And we, we just haven't had that for a bit. And now we're all freaked out about it. And we think that Trump is like somehow tied to it because of the pro life issue, which is important. But frankly, it is important, but we're not going to make America Christian by voting for Donald Trump. <laughs> we're not going to stop the world heathen power from doing what the world heathen power has always, always, always done. And if you don't believe that, you haven't read Daniel, you haven't read First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, nor have you listened to any history on hardcore history. <laughs> Let alone read some history. Um, so I think that brings me to a place where I have covered everything i need um i appreciate the call it nathaniel for the top knot appreciate it working on it i'm not sure oh where to go where to go there it is on the back um it's a thing how's this how's this for a closing thought i realize this this is so weird though a top knot is probably the only uniquely masculine hairstyle that's when i started doing it i'll even wear three sometimes just to be weird and rockfordy about it Girls don't do that. Isn't it funny? When did the beards come back, by the way? Did you notice this? Notice, we didn't, if you grew up uh, only in the last 10 years, right, came into manhood in the last 10 years, you don't even know this. Like beards, beards were out for a long time. And the lady's like, I won't, I won't kiss you if you have a beard on. Like, guys tell me that about their wives. I'm like, that's interesting. You guys should talk and stuff. <laughs> but like, um, the, the facial hair started coming back the louder the LBGDQ movement got. 
It's not that gay guys can't have facial hair, but when the real goal isn't the homosexual agenda, as anybody who is gay or lesbian knows, the real goal is the trans androgynous agenda. Well, suddenly guys who don't want to be mistaken for not what they are, we're just not going to have a choice, are we now? Because if we're going to look like men, we've got to look like men, and this is what we got. So, hence the top knot. Um, I can't seem to keep all the hair in it, which is really frustrating. My hair is so stringy and, like, thin. I, I say thin, and then people think, like, falling out, but it's like silk. Like, it, it will not do what you want it to do. It's, 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 ladies, you're like, oh, that's probably great. No, 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 no. Um, but, uh, hopefully soon enough, this thing will actually stay back. Anyhow, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, thank you for all that you do. And I guess I should just stop wandering, but you're still watching, so why not? <laughs> Y'all have a great Saturday. Tomorrow is Advent 3. We're almost to Christmas. Have you done your shopping? In either case, I got to bring it home. Check it out. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. So today is what matters. Not tomorrow, not Christmas today who is around you not far away who is around you in need of comfort who needs a conversation who needs a pat on the back you need to pray you need to get down on your knees with some psalms and proverbs yeah sit in a chair if you need to that is what a day of rest begins like yeah and of course saturday is going to be what saturday is going to be every day is going to be whatever God gives you. So don't get up with too much of a plan in mind and don't try to make them all the same. That would get boring. In fact, it might even kill you. <laughs> it's all going to kill you. But that doesn't matter because he is risen. You're paid for. You're immortal now. He won't be long anyway. So stop wallowing in the muck with everybody else and lift up your head all the more as you see the day approaching. So I almost got out of it. This is the Saturday Morning Christian Chill. I'm Jonathan Fisk. I have rescued you. No, I haven't. Jesus has. Rock on. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please? <laughs>